Hey everybody, Down Ballot went real long this week. You can grab the whole audio capture of this at patreon.com slash echoplex, or you can hit up our YouTube channel, just search for Echoplex Media, and the entire video of our whole broadcast will be there. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. Just a bunch of 
Hey, welcome live viewers, welcome podcast viewers, and I guess listeners will be podcast listeners. This is Down Ballot. We do this show live every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. I am producer Dave, and you can find me on Grinder. This is the Councilman. You can find me on Twitter at T-H-E underscore Councilman, and I love watching my podcast. Fantastic. Can you turn the gain up on your mic a little bit? Like on, Dude, on I can. I Fuck can, it. totally. Is that better? Much better. Nice. Nice, nice. So, oh, uh, good evening. Good evening. We have something a little different for everybody. It's a little closer to like what we do late night here on Twitch, where we uh, find a piece of content and just get settled into it. I, I think it's well worth uh, that as well. It's a it's a good investment of our time. There's a very important race coming up here in San Jose, and I think it's high time we took a deep dive. Yeah. So this is the mayor candidates forum for san jose the forum is a different format than like a standard debate i there's like a lot less back and forth between the candidates and uh especially considering this is from um the kqed yeah kqed this is going to be quite quite tame but a we're very gonna get, respectable media outlet we're gonna get to learn we're going to learn a little bit about the two mayoral candidates for uh san jose and uh, with, without any further ado let's let's let it rip let's do it So far, so good. Local politics, everybody. Nelly, we cannot hear you. Yeah, yeah. What, what we need is somebody to do something. Yeah. Somebody over there needs it. It's off to a great start. Yes. That's Nelly. She's cool, but she's obviously not audible right now. And she's just finding that out. Wait. Nope. It's not you. No, it is certainly it is certainly definitely. whoever uh, is going ahead it's and the, it's definitely the audio. It's KQED. I blame KQED. I will not be giving them a donation. No tote bag for you this year, sir. I'll invest it in a Agroplex Media tote. Much more respectable media outlet. We don't have that. We do have a gay frogs backpack. I think that's perfectly appropriate, and I'm happy to happy to adjust my expectation level. It's not going to be like this the whole time, right? Somebody's going to fix it, right? You know, I to be honest with you, um, I did the cardinal sin of not actually watching ahead. No, that's okay. Me too. That's that's one of the one of the rules here. Actually, we generally don't watch the content before we watch the content. Now, if it doesn't, there are actually a bevy of forms between these two on uh, video online we could we could choose from league of women voters had one um there was an arts and cultural one there's a housing one um so there's a, there's a few we could pull and they're probably all on youtube there we go ah. everyone who voted was entered into a drawing for some fun kqd swag we Ooh. selected two random participants and those lucky winners are i wish we could give away more stuff so it sounds like what's going on is that she's going through a PA and that, that whoever's recording this has a mic somewhere in the crowd and they're not like running like a line off of the PA into the, the main system. It seems like at least for her mic, I'm interested, curious to see once they like, if they get into it, if the audio for the candidates is like, you know, direct wired in. Um, so we want to thank the Silicon Valley 
Community Foundation for their support of this mayor's forum. We had incredible outreach partners who helped us put the word out through social media, so thank you. Nirvana's Soul Cafe and... And none of these groups helped with the audio. shout out to the County of Santa Clara Registrar of Voters right outside. I bet the coffee people would be like, oh, audio's bad. <laughs> So now let's we don't know. We brought the coffee and the pastries. And, and the day old mochi. Wait, what's happening? Oh, wait. We're like transitioning. Oh, whoa. Oh. We're transitioning here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the San Jose Mayoral Candidates Forum. That's much I'm better. I'm Marzarati with KQED, along with my colleague, Maria Antonieta Mejia, with Univision Catorce. And we're thrilled to be joined... Can you please say that again, guy? Mexican heritage with feeling. Univision Catorce. Univision Catorce. Thank you. so much at stake for San Jose. I'd just say Univision 14 if I didn't have the chops. Developments, yeah, also honestly. Challenges, he, got the, he got her name okay. Affordability. We hope to talk about all of those topics and more tonight with our two candidates, San Jose City Council Member Matt Mahan and Santa Clara County Ooh. Supervisor. Oh, sorry. Not supposed to editorialize. Oh, wait, that's exactly what we're doing. We're just editorializing. Yes, we're just editorializing. Before we get started, okay. we want to go over. I mean, you may be a policy wonk, but not me. First well, all, you won't hear a lot of yay for Cindy for me, but you'll definitely hear a lot of booze for the other guy. It, uh, until the end of the event, we want to spend as much time as possible hearing from our two candidates. Why I just gotta like why is why does everyone on TV wear a single earbud, like a single <laughs> AirPod specifically? Like aren't there like I'm, I'm, aren't there aren't there professional in ear pieces that cost about as much as earbuds that are better? It's possible. Um, I do not know. Uh, I do notice uh, some of you know the reporters, the onsite reporters, right? Like Ian Cole, he has earpods. Although I think he uses both of his earpods, not just the one. So he. At least he uses them properly. From both Maria and I. Some will be directed to both candidates. Some will be directed to a single candidate. You'll have two minutes to respond to the question, and if you'd like, you'll have a one-minute rebuttal. Ooh. We are also going to be taking questions Aussie. from our audience tonight, so you can use the card that was given to you, and a producer will come around and collect those. We're I have my card. Be hearing questions pre-recorded. Where's the producer? Residents that were submitted before tonight. Are you the producer? Those questions are going to be played out live on our live stream for viewers at home. So we are going to have a little bit of an awkward pause here while those questions play out for the live stream. After that's done, I'm going to be... Wait, that's weird. What do you mean an awkward pause? We, me and the councilman are like not a professional operation. and We are literally on 31 milliseconds delay. That's less than a 20th of a second. We're not... Come on, man. And does it really matter? Like if there's a delay anyway? I mean... You're, you have a live forum and then you have a live stream and it's not as though you're like interacting with the person or the folks watching on the live stream, right? Oh, thanks for the sub, Potabogus. The both they they oh, nice. Here in person. So again, it'll be a little bit of an awkward pause there. But with that, let's get started. Maria? Thank you so much, Guy. Um, ¿Qué tal? Mi nombre es María Antonieta Mejía de Univision 14 y me acompaña en este día Guy Martin. No, she should have to say NBC Bay Area. She <laughs> makes fun of him. Los candidatos a la alcaldía de San José, la supervisora del condado de Santa Clara, Cindy Chávez, y el concejal de San José, Matt Mahan. El pendejo. Ya solo faltan tres semanas para poder votar en estas elecciones. Y Amigo de Peter Thiel. Escúchame. ¿Qué dice? ¿Qué dice? 
van a enfrentar varios retos. Caldesa, uh, I like that. Female mayor. Personas sin hogar, el de la seguridad pública y la falta de vivienda asequible. Vamos a hablar de estos temas y otros más de manera detallada con los candidatos, pero antes de eso les quiero dar a conocer algunas reglas que tenemos aquí en el foro y vamos a comenzar diciéndoles que no aplaudan eh, a lo largo del foro. Además, With a much better accent than Guy Maserati. que haremos serán para ambos candidatos, otras van a ser para los candidatos de manera individual. Cada candidato va a tener dos minutos para responder y un minuto para hacer una contra... He does in his campaign Además, videos, but it's all pretty forced and scripted. Si Cindy doesn't na, isn't a native speaker either. She didn't grow up speaking Spanish. She learned a little bit, but she doesn't speak very well either. She doesn't try, that's the thing. She doesn't try to be something she's not. Vamos con Guy. started with our opening questions. Supervisor Chavez, you will get the first answer tonight. We're then going to alternate answers. Councilmember Mahan, you will have the last word at the end of the evening. Our opening question, it's safe to say that a great many residents of San Jose feel like the city is going in the wrong direction. They're hungry for change at City Hall. Supervisor Chavez, you've been in local government for the better part of 25 years, first on the city council, now on the county board of supervisors. Councilmember Mahan, you have the support of the current mayor, Sam Licardo. He's raising hundreds of thousands of dollars to ensure that you follow in his footsteps. So my question to both of you is what makes you the best candidate to bring effective change to City Hall? And Supervisor Chavez, we'll start with you. Thank you, and thank you all so much for being here. The most important thing, I think, as I look to the future of San Jose is really what experience that I've had as a council member and a member of the Board of Supervisors that's going to really be able to meet the moment. We're facing very challenging situations, policing, homelessness, housing, you know, the affordability of that housing and getting San Jose cleaned up again. As a member of the Board Cle of oh, Supervisors, come on. I really led the... Cleaned up again? Like, I... Yeah, she, she's buying into a lot of the, the same tropes that the other side is um, and sort of, you know, not... It, not pivoting, but just sort of getting defensive and using the same rhetoric, the blight and the, you know, clean up the city and save this big city rhetoric. She's using all the same rhetoric. Um, it's, it's disappointing. She could do more. I just feel like, I feel like, you know, the city's going in the wrong direction. And I think like a, a message that a candidate could do really well with is being like, yeah, you know, things are kind of bad. We just came out of a pandemic, but all things considered, we're doing, a, we're doing a lot better than other cities our size. And here's yep. what's going right. But here are the places we, we definitely need to do some work and yeah. um, don't ever call the city that you're trying to get people to vote for you in dirty. Right. And be, just be real with people. Right. And be honest. But um, yeah, like talk, try to speak about it in more positive terms anyway in general think of uh, and to be honest a, a lot of what she says is poll tested consultant driven stuff uh i uh she does have her own voice i just don't see it a lot in the campaign trail and it's really frustrating um because she is she's a very independent minded and very very strong person in and of herself as a candidate though she seems very controlled and i don't i've never really cared for it um but uh the other guy is so <laughs> such a stiff that it's it's you know she still stands out Um, but you're right. Yeah, I, I think your approach would be would be the right way to go, especially considering that uh, you know this, someone needs to pull punches on the other guy. And if he is getting supported by the current mayor and all his hundreds of thousands of dollars of money that ra uh, raised, why is he also making the case that the city's completely off track? 
right? Like if the current mayor supports him and gives him all that money, what, what does the current mayor think of that? If, if it's if we're completely off track, it's his fault. And so, just, um, just real important, do not allude to the fact that the city you want to be the mayor of is dirty. I think that's a really good rule of thumb to live by, frankly. The effort to address COVID-19, and I did that by making sure that I met with all the mayors of all the cities and all the city managers of all the cities to make sure we were on the same page and that saved lives. That experience of bringing business, labor, nonprofits, Chavez. the community together, uh, faith along with government, I think uniquely qualifies me to be ready to meet the moment that will come forward. And I think it's gonna be a very challenging time for San Jose. And the same question to you. Thank you. And mm -hmm. Can you hear me okay? There we go. Thank yes. you and good evening to everyone. Si. Uh, buenas noches a todos. He's speaking for an audience oh, of one. Oh, the oh, audience wait, of one wait, is wait, named wait, Peter Thiel. Roll it back. He's speaking Spanish. Roll it back. Um, oh, he just stopped. Oh, he spoke like 10 seconds of Spanish. This is going to be glorious. Can you hear me okay? There we go. Thank you and good evening to everyone. Uh, buenas noches a todos y gracias por invitarnos aquí para hablar sobre el futuro de la ciudad nuestra. Um, you know, I think that our city is absolutely going on the wrong track. And the reason I believe I'm the right person to be mayor is that I have had experiences outside of government in which I have seen how to deliver results through systems of accountability. When I first got to City Hall, I was shocked to see that we would pass a multi-billion dollar budget without committing to concrete, measurable goals and holding ourselves accountable for delivering those goals. I was a public school teacher just up the road here in Alum Rock where I had to know for each of my students who's on grade level, who isn't, and what does it take to get that student on grade level. I was in the business sector for over a decade, building a couple of software companies that empowered millions of people to participate in their democracy, and I really? had to make payroll. And what's missing at City Hall today is focus and accountability, and I have the experience to bring that focus and accountability to local government. Again, what, what do you think the current mayor thinks of that statement? <laughs> Uh, to both. Um, so we're going to go to one of the questions and uh, I'm going to be reading first in Spanish, then in English, and then uh, for this one we're going to ask uh, Mr. Mehan to go first. Uh, I will go first in Spanish. Durante la pandemia, uno de los grupos más golpeados por el COVID-19 fueron los latinos, ya que muchos tenían que trabajar sin la posibilidad de laborar desde su casa. ¿Qué harían ustedes como candidatos para asegurarse de que este grupo tenga la posibilidad de levantarse económicamente? Ahora en inglés. During the pandemic, one of the most affected ethnic groups were Latinos, many of which didn't have the opportunity to work from home like others. So what will you do to make sure that they have a speedy economic recovery? Let's go with Mr. Mehan. En español, por favor. You know, when government is failing uh. to deliver services effectively, whether that's public education or police response or speeding up permitting to build housing or struggling through a pandemic, it is our most vulnerable and marginalized communities that bear the brunt of those struggles. I will fight for a city hall that is more effective and efficient at delivering the services we are responsible for. We have to permit building housing faster so that there is more housing to bring down the cost and make it more accessible. We have to demand that our public schools offer a high quality education to all of our young people. Well, Everybody you can't do that as mayor. 
deserves to live in a neighborhood that is safe and clean. And today, did you get the fuck out of here with this safe shit? I just looked up the other day. Like last year, San Jose had twenty-eight murders. Get the fuck out of here! Like, come on, man. There are there are like there are like rural like small towns that had more fucking murders than San Jose. Get the fuck out of here with this. There's real need to small be towns safe. Had, there's real small towns that had more people run over by tractors than <laughs> San Jose has had murders. Right. And you know, I'm not saying that, Oh, great. We had 28 murders. I'm just saying that all things right. considered, that's fucking amazing for a little over a million people. Correct. Correct. We are failing too many neighborhoods, particularly on the east side, and actually delivering those outcomes. And I will use performance management and data to guarantee that we are accountable for delivering the same quality oh, of services no. to east side San Jose as we do to the rest of the city. He's like, you know that algorithm that gives you your news feed on Facebook? We're going to use that to figure out what's, uh, what, you, what we need to do for the city of San Jose. <laughs> yeah. And it also it presumes that well, I mean, the thing is, he knows better. He knows that we do. He knows that there are benchmarks, there are key performance measures. He knows that employees go through evaluations every year, that he knows that we do have accountability in government. And we have the ultimate accountability for his ass, which is the voters, right? We can actually vote them out if we don't like what they're doing. So there is utter accountability. It's just a question of whether or not people want to get engaged and find out what's actually going on. And until they do, they're susceptible to messaging from a, you know, whatever tech bro you know, no tie wearing dude like this who comes in and says, oh, I like Trump, mind you, like Trump. You know, I know what I'm, I know what, uh, what it means to run a business. I've run a successful, I've run many successful businesses. I know what it takes to run an efficient uh, organization. So I can come in and do what all these other people who uh, held government positions never have been able to do before, you know, elected positions. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to solve all of it because I know how I know better than anyone. And frankly, that campaign has been waiting to be run in San Jose right? With the, the outsider, insider, insider, outsider, whatever you want to call it. He's tapping into something and he knows it that uh, has been festering below the surface and now has its moment. Like he's even said this to some people behind the scenes. I'm running because, you know, because the, they say, well, you only been on the council for two years. You just got here, bro. Like, wait your turn. And he says, no, but this is my moment. This is the only time uh, I could, I could possibly become mayor, you know, if I really want to. So I have to go for it. And he said that. Um, and it's true. It's true. He is trying to tap into a moment. He's running up against a juggernaut of a campaign, so it's going to be a really tight race because of that. But he's also running up against a vulnerable juggernaut that has a lot of a lot of baggage, and he is looking. He looks like the fresh, based, you know, new, uh, new ideas guy. But he's absolutely tapping into a uh, uh, some dog whistle shit. Uh, if, if on a if, lot of levels, if she, if she wouldn't have said at the beginning to clean up the city, right about now, as she answers the question would be a good time to be like, hey, I look around San Jose and I don't see a dirty city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I I got I just got a, a poll today. There's a, a poll that goes around about every month. Um, it's funded by San Jose Inside, I think, in Metro. Uh, to, you know, whatever, Silicon Valley power players, I don't freaking know. You, you can look up the list online. Anyway, one of, you know, it was about the state of downtown San Jose and the hella leading questions, right? Like, you know, I, I generally think downtown is clean. And then, you know, I agree, strongly agree, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't agree, whatever, don't, strongly don't agree, something like that, right? Have no opinion. Um, it's like, it's presuming that it's just dirty or it's presuming that it is clean. It's like, it's a city. 
There's not even enough going on in downtown San Jose for it for anybody to really make a mess. To be perfectly honest, I mean, well, and we have and we have that public toilet at Market in Santa Clara, right? So you know, no one's pooping on the street either. We've since we got the public toilets, and people generally, I've noticed, will you know, uh, businesses will let people poop in their bathrooms um, if they have to poop. So I, generally speaking, you don't see poop on the the street. You don't see you know see people on the street, but they're all nice if you just talk to them. They're not dirty. Thank you. Uh, now we go with Ms. Chavez. Thank you, and uh, thank you for the question. During COVID-19, recognizing that we had the Latino community, the Vietnamese community, we had a number of communities that were dramatically impacted more than others, in part because of the kind of work that they did, being in restaurants or um, service work, being clerks at grocery stores. What we had to do was we, and we did this, is we started to get people to go door to door to get people tested and vaccinated. And the benefit of that is that we got to employ quite a lot of people as promotoras to make sure that they were getting the word out um, in different languages so that we were able to make sure that we weren't um, leaving people behind and doing our very best to make sure that, that we weren't having people getting evicted. We had an eviction moratorium because of that. And we also did some funding to make sure that people could stay in their homes. Those were the immediate things that we did. I think what we can do now is making sure that government works for everybody. And one of the challenges we had is with, in particular with small businesses, not having access to capital, not being able to get their tenant improvements and that kind of work. And that's what we should be doing now to make sure that people can- Matt's like, haha, why didn't they just call their venture capitalist friend? And get on board and get <laughs> safely um, back to work as quickly as possible. Thank you so much. We're now going to dive in on some questions related to homeless, homelessness, mental health, and eviction. Sir, could you dive in on getting just about a lot closer to your microphone? A question for you both. <laughs> San Jose has just cleared one of the city's largest homeless encampments near the airport under pressure from the federal government. We know this is not going to be the last Working on it. of its size to come before the city. My question to both of you, and I'll start with City Council Member Mahan, is what will be your approach as mayor to dealing with those kind of encampments as they crop up? Well, let me back up and talk about our homelessness crisis more broadly. We have to stop doubling down on a strategy that isn't working. We are currently spending most of our dollars building brand new apartments at a cost of $800,000 a door just to help someone transition off the streets. We right, but you build it once and it's there forever, you fucking idiot. Have also to be true. Much more pragmatic and cost-effective in scaling up basic but still safe and dignified shelter, so that we can end the era of encampments. Yes, we need to manage encampments better and provide more services, but I want to end the era of encampments, and that starts with scaling up basic shelter quickly and cost-effectively. It also will require us to push our county leaders to expand inpatient care for addiction and mental illness, and to invest in programs like job training and job placement. We should, none of us should accept the situation on our streets today, which is that in our city alone, we have over 5,000 people living outside every single day. Last year, over 200 people died on our streets. We need to end the era of encampments, not just manage the situation on our streets. Well, but what about both? Like you have well, to manage. You, you do have to do. You do have to do both. You have to do immediate management, and then you have to. You know, you do have. I mean, we should have been doing things 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but yes, you have to manage it at all levels. You have to manage it from the encampment level, from people just living right on on the street. Literally, you've got people couch surfing. You've got people uh, 
doubling up, tripling up families in, you know, apartments and sharing a car, right? And all of this, like all levels need to be supported in some way. And what we are doing, we're hitting our metrics on building market rate housing, yay, every year. Over 100% in some years of our, our goals uh, for market rate housing, coming nowhere near hitting our goals for uh, below market rate, extremely low income, right, uh, individuals. We're not hitting our, our and that's year over year, cumulatively getting worse and providing less and less options for people and driving the housing costs up, 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 up. And this guy can talk all he wants about like scaling up effective solutions um, to, end, to end the fucking encampment, to end the encampment crisis or the the era of encampments is over, right? Um, if he really wants to do that, if he wants to find beds for 5,000 people, where, what community in this city isn't going to revolt right now if I told them we were going to bring 100 beds for unhoused people to their community, right? Like uh, pods, whatever. You can make it all nice. Make it nice and pretty, you know, and, and clean, and clean, right? Um, with little fake, fake gardens and yards, right? And all that shit. When people just really want a place to fucking have a roof over their head. Yeah, like do it. Like, but how, where are you going to get that approved tomorrow, right? That's not going to happen tomorrow. It takes years of community engagement, of selling it to people, of, of you know, uh, building public will because people just are, they're racist, they're bigots, they're sexist, they're, and they just want to equate homelessness with crime, right? For whatever reason. Um, and they've been trained to do that by the dog whistle. So you're not going to get 5,000 beds or 5,000 units in the city in any expedient amount of time without significant amount of community engagement because every single time one of these things is proposed and the staff city staff comes up with a great idea and they have a project ready to go the community rises up and the city council backs down and nothing gets done or it takes five six years to get something done that could take a few months he's right we could do these things quickly if we didn't have to deal with the public backlash and the nimby factor right and it's real it's absolutely real and it has to be dealt with and it's not going to be dealt with overnight. I do trust Cindy Chavez to deal with it better than he will because she has experience dealing with it and working with both sides and bringing people together um, as evidenced by the fact that the entire city council except for this dipshit is endorsing her. Oh, and the mayor. Anyway, I'm done. For now. I, I just feel like you don't understand the power of the distributed um, network effect of the blockchain Please teach me, <laughs> Ma Master Mayhan, teach me. Supervisor Chavez. So um, to try to answer the question that you've raised is that one of the challenges that we see in our community is that we're working to get people housed as rapidly as we can. But I think what's happened in our community is people can't see it, in part because of places like Columbus Park, um, and that large encampment. And so one of the things that I think we need to make sure we're doing is that as people get services, both short and long-term services, and we clear an area, whether it's Columbus Park, a creek, or a park, that it stays clear. And that we don't have people go back into that location so that we can actually demonstrate to the public what we are and aren't accomplishing relative to getting people housed. One of the most important things I think to understand is that of all the people we've gotten housed, and that's about 20,000 since 2015, 35% of them have been placed into housing that's been newly built, but a majority of them are in housing that already existed, and we place them in that housing as effectively and as quickly as we can. 
One last thing about that encampment is that it's really, really important that the city and the county collaborate so that we make sure we get people permanently housed. It's important to do the interim housing as well, but long term, if we don't have permanent housing, we'll just be dealing with that person over and over again. We're now going to hear a question from a San Jose resident pre-recorded on the issue of evictions. Again, this question is going to play out for our audiences on TV at home, and then I'm going to repeat the question for everyone here in person, so just stand by. My name is Maria Quinones Ortiz, and I'm called uh, Ciclanina. I'm uh, speaking on behalf of the uh, Washington Gardner area. How will you stop landlords to drive people out by raising outrageously high rents? The question is from Maria Quinones Ortiz. She's from the Washington Gardner neighborhood. And her question is, how are you both going to approach the issue of evictions? Specifically, she asks, how will you stop landlords from driving people out by raising outrageously high rents, unquote? And we'll start with you, Supervisor Chavez. Thank you. One of the investments that I've made as a county supervisor, and I would want to continue to do this as a member of the city council, as a mayor, um, would be to make sure that we continue to allow and make available legal services for people who live in our community. Because one of the challenges is that folks don't always know what their rights are. And that investment to make sure that folks have the tools they need to stay in their homes is really important. The other thing that we have to do, and this speaks to keeping people from becoming homeless, and this is why the eviction moratorium was so important, is that we have an opportunity to, in a very cost-effective way, keep people housed. Having someone on the street who's mentally ill for a year in services is $63,000. On average, keeping people housed costs us, in one-time money, about $5,000. The other thing we have to take a look at is making sure that we're offering services, not over-servicing people, but giving people the services they need to stay in their home. Maybe that's job training, maybe that's connection to affordable child care, and really making sure we're doing what we can to keep people in the homes that they're in today. Councilmember Mayhem, that question on evictions to you, and I guess the flip side, how you'll deal with landlord-tenant issues as mayor. Yeah, it's, an, it's an important question. The city actually has begun a, a small test of providing legal support to folks who are facing eviction. We have a number of tenant protections that are important, and I'm proud that the city has. I think, though, that when we talk about this issue, we, we need to move beyond just pitting a tenant and a landlord against one another in a zero-sum game. The reality is that we, in our state, have broken the housing production market and are creating a lot of bad decisions. When we talk about homelessness, when we talk about evictions, displacement, our neighborhoods with two, three families to a home, that all goes back to the fact that our region is adding jobs at a much faster rate than we're building housing. And the reason for that is we've created so many rules and regulations and fees and taxes that most of the folks who build housing don't want to build housing in our city or our region anymore. Wait, no, and you're, you and your rich-ass friends just keep making these companies and fucking importing people from other places to work at these companies and there's nowhere for them to live. Unregulated, without fees, without impact. You know, they have, we've just now been fighting tooth and nail to get impact fees for housing from commercial development in San Jose. That's just happened right uh this year so um but, and that's that took that took a battle to get that but if the commercial development's happening over in like santa clara and sunnyvale like san jose can't do nothing about it but all the people are looking for an apartment in san jose and that's again also creating the burden and another reason why we it's uh it's important to get these kind of uh get that 
those monies out of these companies like this this guy created, although he didn't really create causes, let's be honest. And so somebody really... in the chat was asking what business this guy was in. Matt Mahan uh, created like election software of some kind, or was it like... Uh, I mean, yeah, yes. Or was it no. like so, campaign software? He started out at Causes. Are you familiar with that at Facebook? I, I remember. Oh, no. Oh, causes? oh, God. He, he was the CEO of Causes, and then it got absorbed by Facebook, and then... Went from that to founding Brigade, which was kind of going to be a community engagement app of some sort um, that I never really got into, but uh, apparently helped you know change the world according to him. Um, and then he sold it to Pinterest. Literally, I'm not. That's not even you know. <laughs> that's not even a, a goofy uh, uh, whatever you call it, euphemism. Um, so yeah, that those are the two companies. So uh, causes and Brigade, if you want to look them up. Brigade um, is and, such a crazy name for a company about community engagement. Brigade sounds like, I don't know. It sounds like, like a, like a, like a, like a password manager service or something that would, yeah. it sounds like it's well, something that sounds like aggressive. Oddly enough, that's the sort of organizing unit that code, that code for America uses, right? Um, brigades um, at the local level. So like, like the code for San Jose brigade. Anyway. Um, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so those are the two companies. Uh, and then uh, that's, he made quite a bit of money selling Brigade off to Pinterest. I'm not really sure why, other than just the metrics and numbers and algorithms and, and data that he collected from all the users um, that he could pass along to them that they can use in their advertising. So he like basically pumped and dumped two companies that probably would not have made it on their own if they weren't purchased. Correct. According to him, the the, the employees were all made whole and, and either went to Pinterest, went on to Pinterest or you know they got you know they got bought out and, and got some sort of severance package. So. Um, According to him, it, it, you know, all was hunky dory, <laughs> but At they're not really doing anything now other than just that, like the, the product isn't doing anything now. Like what he created is gone. It's helping Pinterest like market to their own users. Basically. We've added six jobs for every home that we've built. So I'm all for keeping in place. So like, I hate to do that. I hate to say this, but what if we just stop adding jobs for a little while? It's like that, you know, but the thing is the, the, the that's the mantra, what it's been for years in San Jose. We need to, you know, shift our structural uh, tax deficit by increasing jobs and creating more business and business tax and sales tax and uh, things of that nature. Um, and so we need to have more jobs and we need to discourage, you know, encourage commercial development, discourage ho housing growth. Oh, and look at, what do you know? We're in the middle of a housing crisis because that was the mentality for many, many years. That's still the mentality of the city's general plan right now. Despite all of these incentives they're trying to create to build housing now and trying to push it, the general plan itself still calls for the city to be at a, by 2040, to be at a one to, I think it's one to one uh, ratio of jobs per employable resident, like resident over the age of 14, right? Right now we're at, uh, as we have been for many, many years in the low 80%, like uh, 0.82 jobs for every employable resident. We've been there fluctuating in that space for, for many, many years, for decades. It's not going to change anytime soon. And in the meantime, we've, we have put barriers in the way to housing. He's right in that regard. Um, we are removing those barriers, but structurally they still exist. So um, in that way, in that regard, he's right. He does not have all the answers though. I guarantee it. So I, what I think the problem is, is anywhere where the, the density is going to be allowed by the community is going to tend to be an, end up being commercial. So then you end up trying to also add density outside of like the city core and then, or outside of like uh, first street all the way up, all the way North, right? 
they're mm-hmm. not adding a lot of dense housing there. They're adding a lot of they're they're tearing down stuff and putting up dense offices there. So then, yeah. like something's got to give. Yeah, the plan. I mean, the plans keep evolving. The plan is to 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 do a mix up there. There is there are plans for housing up there. There's basically allotments in each part of the city. If I without getting too wonky on the general plan. The general plan is organized around this principle of urban villages, right? Uh, the city did realize and cities are realizing that they need to get denser and they, and grow up and not out anymore. So we created a bound, you know, an ur- urban growth boundary. And now we've created these pockets called urban villages that are centered around major thoroughfares, uh, transit hubs, light rail, bus lines, um, or downtown especially, right? Um, and they are different villages that have uh, uh, the ability uh, and the, the zoning to upscale and to grow and to be more dense, right? Um, and there's sort of 70 of these pockets in and around the city, a lot of them clustered around downtown, obviously. And uh, the idea is to use that as a, a catalyst for growth. But what's happened is that the whole process has been stalled out because San Jose is still stuck in this pastoral mindset and you get, again, enough community pushback on the plan and the elected officials you know, back, back down, they back down even if city staff wants to go ahead and move forward, even though the professional staff who know what they're doing have, you know, have an idea they want to go forward with. Once the community pushes back and the council backs down, the council is their boss and they have to back down too and everything gets stuck. Um, so we're basically dealing with a plan that's never really been implemented. It won't be implemented in time by the time it's supposed to sunset even. Um, and in the balance are people's lives who are living on the street and we're just not, we, we're not moving fast enough. Uh, so it, it, in that regard, he's right. And he's tapping into people like me that, 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 uh, that irritation, that value, um, that knowledge that, yeah, we're not moving fast enough. Um, and we could be doing better and we have structural problems that need to be fixed. So he's tapping into that, that would normally get me fired up, but I know better. So I can see, I can read between his, Someone Fine. in the chat's asking politically, are those 70 or I guess urban development zones, they're under the city council. I think what they're asking is like the city council is what's regulating um, the, the construction to some degree or regulating the projects or approving certain things about the project. Is that in as much as the city council approves what is in the general plan um, for the city and all the zoning code for every parcel in the city, they control what is allowed to be built or used or done on every, on every parcel that's in their purview, right? In the city. And that includes your house, right? Now, granted, you have a lot of, if, you know, if you are a private property owner, you do have a lot of rights and you have, there, there's not a ton of stuff holding you back from like renovating, doing stuff with your property, right? Within reason or just selling it. Um, it does apply, but a lot of times the power comes in more with these larger projects, larger scale projects. But yes, the city council is the ultimate arbiter of what gets done on any parcel in the city. Um, and uh, that that goes all the way up until up to uh, eminent domain, right? Where the cities, the city or the county or another you know, public agency can claim a piece of land and basically say, hey, we need your house. Uh, your house is right in the middle of where we're going to build the new BART station, you know, and we need some, we need a, an escalator um, right here and it's going to come out where your house is. So we need to take your house and tear it down and build the escalator. We're going to pay you fair market value for your house and the property and everything. And we're going to find you a new place. Oh, if you want to move the house, we'll help you put it up on stilts or on a, on a truck and we'll move it down the street or something, but we really need this property. So we're going to take it. Um, and they can vote to do that. And it happened. It does happen quite a bit actually um, with small parcels. So, um, not so often. So not for nothing here, when I see um, advertisements for what appear to be urban villages, 
they're uh, advertising to uh, the the high end. And I don't know if yeah, these I are mean, the 70 urban villages we're talking about, but when I yeah. see advertisements that look like that's what they're trying to sell, either to the community yeah. or to potential buyers for like condos or apartments or whatever, it looks yeah. like they're advertising to the top of the pile. They generally are. I mean, that's what we're building. Like I said, we're building market rate housing. Um, you might see projects uh, from a, a group called Urban Catalyst. Um, they're they're taking advantage of what are called opportunity zones, which are, uh, it's kind of like a weird semi-redlining thing where uh, the government has designated you know, certain uh, parcels and census tracts because of, you know, whatever historical inequities um, as areas where they will incentivize people to come in and develop the area or the parcel um, with the promise of like tax breaks on the back end. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of, a lot of developers come in and take advantage of that and build, you know, affordable housing um, ish, <laughs> um, but have, you know, mixed use housing developments uh, uh, on those parcels and reaping, you know, if they can get it built, reaping the benefits of it. Uh, so, but it also it kind of uh, somewhat creates a segregated housing structure as well, too. So you might be seeing that, but uh, you're right that they're certainly advertising a more urban environment in San Jose and a lot of San Jose housing. That, that's right. That might be a realtor thing, though. Might be more of a realtor thing than anything else. Well, you're going to have to talk over this while I go to the bathroom. Protection. Well, all right then. Sure tenants' rights are protected. I'll translate into Spanish. Access to the resources that they need, but these are bad trade-offs. We have to get serious about removing barriers to building up in places like downtown, in your transit, and adding housing supply to better balance all the demand that's out there, so that people can find an affordable home. And we have we have shot ourselves in the foot on this for far too long, and that's what's leading to the kind of displacement that we're seeing. Thank you for that answer. I want to follow up with you, Councilmember Mahan. A centerpiece of your plan to deal with homelessness in the city has been around the idea of emergency interim housing, also known as tiny homes for the homeless. But when six of those sites, either to build them or expand them, came up before the city council in June, you actually voted no. You said the city staff should spend more time looking for an alternative to the project that was proposed for your district. Is Thank you, Guy. That kind of reluctance, that kind of push for delay, part of how we ended up in this homeless crisis to begin with? Well, actually, I have moved forward a site that will be the largest in the city with 206 units at Branham and Monterey. Very proud of that work. We are uh -huh. on a Tell me all about your work to do that. For Sorry, that was another council member that did that work. He's claiming it now because it's in his district, in district now. But I want to be very clear about that. It wasn't vote. before redistricting. I actually authored the memo that argued for the approach but then when staff brought forward sites with no community engagement, I had to say, we need to slow down and actually tell the community what the plan is and answer their questions. And so Councilmember Cohen and I, the two districts where new sites were proposed with no community engagement, with no guarantees about what investments we would make in that neighborhood to make it safer and cleaner as a result of building a transitional site. I thought that was wait, wrong. Wait, now the, now the, no, 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 yes, now, pause it. Please now the bar, now the bar isn't, <laughs> isn't no impact. Now the bar is actually, everything has to, has to magically get better here too, actually. You need to, yeah, so you just, you just missed Guy uh, Maserati, or Maserati, uh, speaking exactly my mind. 
and calling this fucker on an actual vote at the council when emergency uh, interim housing came before the council at six sites around the city uh, and he vetoed it and voted against it. Um, and his argument is, well, you know, I, I argued in favor of the approach, but the sites were chosen without community, any community engagement. And then we're pretty much trying to drive it down people's throat and you need to do the community engagement. And so that's what I was asking for. And the, th- the truth of the matter is there was, you know, more likely community outreach on a lot of this stuff. And usually there is a lot of community outreach. It's just that, you know, for whatever reason, it's not getting through or people are not hearing it or they're not listening or they just don't care until it's too late or until someone tells them or until someone tells them it's a really bad thing that's happening and they get all fired up and they say, well, you haven't reached out to me. Um, I had no idea that you were, this is someone speaking at a city council meeting during public comment on, on an issue like this. I had no idea this meeting was happening until I heard about it on Nextdoor or I heard about it from my neighbor or someone told me about it, right? I'm st- I'm here speaking at the meeting. I'm getting engaged as a community member, right? I'm they, The government is engaging me and yet I'm, I'm claiming that I, I, I had no idea, right? You got there. You got to the meeting. I don't care where you heard about it or when you heard about it. You got to the meeting. Isn't that the most important thing? So speak your piece. Don't spend all this time bitching that you didn't get engaged. You got engaged. You learned about it. So, you know, do something with that. <laughs> Ask a question or something. Yeah. Ask a question and to do something. Yeah. And build buy-in for these solutions. We will not be able to scale them up. Now that site. Or it's because people like him and other council members placate and humor these people that we end up stuck in the mud. Sites, but we have to at least let people know where we are planning to build sites and give them an opportunity to provide input. And so on the safe parking site that we are moving forward rapidly, we have formed a community advisory committee in my district to give input on the site and meet with the operator. And I think that's the right approach to take if we're going to build public support for these solutions. Yeah, but it's not going to happen in six months. It is the right approach, but it's not going to happen in six months then, like he's promising. You can't have both. The idea is to use the courts to push for services, housing, treatment for those with severe mental illness who we so see so visibly suffering on our streets. Santa Clara County, despite widespread support in the legislature and in the public for this plan, Santa Clara County is not going to implement <clears throat> care courts till the end of 2024. And this comes after Good. it took the county roughly 20 years to Im- implement Laura's Law, which was a reform to outpatient treatment for, for the mentally ill. I'm wondering how you'd respond to critics who say the county and you as a supervisor have been slow to enact some of these reforms for folks with mental illness who so often end up on our streets. Because they're not humane. The question. I mean, first of all, I would just say a couple things about Care Court. I think Care Court is really important, but one of the challenges that Care Court does not address is the ability for us to conserve people who need help. And so I don't think we were, you know, we're in the second phase out of reluctance. I think it's more that we're trying to understand how it is that it's actually going to move the dial and help us help people who can't help themselves. The rules for conservation are very, very high, and they're high in part because people in the past abused each other. Um, So I understand we want to be careful about it, but I think one of the most important things we can do is actually take a look at working with the state legislature to change those rules so that we can, frankly, put people in... Lady B. Miniatures, yeah, of course it's legal for the mayor to put his thumb on the scale in the election after he leaves. 
Yes. The mayor just Absolutely. has to follow the campaign finance laws like everybody else. Correct. That's all. These are Easy peasy. Helpful for them in the long run. I just want to add one other thing, and this relates a little to the question you just asked uh, Mr. Mahan, and that is that for the development he's talking about, the county actually is an investor in that development. I think it is really important that we look at every single option available to us to help people, whether they're mentally ill and homeless, and look for solutions that actually have the outcome that we intend, and that we're doing it in a way that's both judicious, right, and we're doing it in a cost-effective way, but also in a way that's very assertive, because so many people are suffering on our streets, so many people. Can I jump in on that one? I think on the issue of mental health, this is a critical issue that, that impacts not just homelessness. Lock them up, throw them in a fucking sanitarium. That's what this guy's going to say, right? Essentially, but in a very nice way and with a you know soothing tone. We can scale up um, some sanitariums that um, <laughs> there's NFTs on the wall. And... I might be able to scale up some, some uh, straitjackets and a little more medication. Medication. Straight, the straight jackets medication. will be a hypoallergenic medication. But public safety. Medication. Frankly, I am a very strong supporter of care courts. I think it is a travesty that our county board and Supervisor Chavez have decided to defer something. Oh, now we're getting a solution that has finally come along for the first time in years that San Francisco and Los Angeles have decided to move forward with. Thus. Guarantee you, Chesa wouldn't have done it. Hundreds of millions of dollars that are available. For Wait, didn't she say they're already on like phase two of putting in implementing whatever the fuck this is? Yeah, Laura's law. I don't know about oh. uh, care court. Okay. Yeah. This is this is this is Gavin's big proposal about. It's basically an extension of Laura's law and and forcing mentally ill people into treatment into um, services, but actually not you know, providing the services because we don't have them. <laughs> so right. it's basically Problem. cops arresting a bunch of, you know, unhoused um, people with, with mental illness, putting them into VMC, into some f program for like 72 hours, and then they're released back on the streets and, and, and it all the cycle starts over again. And like Supervisor Chavez says, we end up spending infinitely more money, you know, um, unfortunately serving these folks like that than we would if we had if we could provide the services and, you know, give them a place to live and then provide the services in-house there. That would be useful. For implementation, what Care Courts does is actually give a judge the ability to mandate that someone go into inpatient treatment, which is exactly the kind of solution that we need when we but have... But everybody didn't push a California state senator, my friend. Thousands <laughs> of people on our streets suffering from severe mental illness. I want to give you Austin a Bennett, shout out. Um, first of all, it, it doesn't actually do that. What it does is it gives right. us an opportunity to work with people who are seriously, um, who have psychosis of some kind. It's a, it's a, we think between 15% of the people statewide that have this problem that are um, either homeless or not homeless but need services. It gives us an opportunity to put services around that person and try to persuade that person to take services. But they still have to go through the same process for conservation. Now, there's only one difference, and the difference is a judge can say to the conservator, I want you to take a look at this person so they can make a direct referral. But that 
That's the only change in the legislation. And it's important to understand that because whether it's uh, AOT, Laura's Law, or this, when we tell the public that they're going to get this outcome and this is really not the outcome we're going to get, it further builds distrust. And, and in addition to that, it also makes people very nervous. Now, we didn't defer it because we didn't want to engage. We're we're, in fact, I'm not sure we deferred it. I think we're in the planning stages of implementing this in the most robust way we can. And by the way, Judge Manley, who's part of our court system, played a leadership role in developing that. He's playing a leadership role in helping us implement it. I, I do want to move ahead, council member, I have a question for you uh, from an audience member on Instagram, Floridea Brill. She says many homeless residents in her South San Jose neighborhood live in their cars and add to the parking congestion for residents. I'm wondering if you have a specific plan for those homeless residents who could so often go overlooked because they are living in their cars, not visibly on the streets, and then addressing congestion concerns at the same time from residents like Florida who are living in those neighborhoods. Sure. Uh, thank you for the question. And I mentioned the safe parking site. I also want to note that the, the site that was proposed where I asked staff to go back and look at an alternative, one of the reasons, by the way, was that it was right next to the safe parking site. In fact, we have four sites within a half mile. And I think we need to fight for an equitable distribution of these solutions all over the city and, frankly, all over the county. San Jose cannot solve the homelessness crisis in our county alone. We're about half of the county's population but closer to 70% of the county's homeless population. To the point of those living in vehicles, I think the intermediate step, which is what we're doing in my district at the Santa Teresa VTA safe park site where we have an entire lot that is unused, is create a safe park site where we can have on-site services, but the goal must be to graduate folks from cars and RVs into more stable housing and give them the counseling and the job training and the job like, can't they just li live at the Avalon strategies to help people get to greater levels of self-sufficiency supervisor Chavez that same question to you I don't know if you have thoughts about the way the city's safe parking program is playing out well I I think that um, the safe parking program in de depending on the operator actually are working really well or not so well and we have a lot of faith institutions that are allowing for that to be rotated onto their sites I think that it's really critical that we set goals for how many people we're able to permanently house from those situations. As an example, we have a tiny home program at the county um, in front of City Hall, the old City Hall. We have a, a program that helps families that are homeless, single, mostly single. Soup for my breadline. Thank you for the raid. Units and goats. About 56 residents. About 67% of all watching of them the mayors. Get permanently Forum. housed when they leave mm. and that's the same kind of goals we need to set for those kinds of safe park places i want to ask a quick question about these emergency interim housing sites and get an answer from both of you there's been some suggestion perhaps of an accompanying them with encampment bans basically as a way to maybe get more neighbors to sign on whoa is an emergency site in your neighborhood it'll come with an encampment ban i'm wondering if that's an idea either of you would go for the encampments no. don't get a permit yeah, so back to building public support for solutions. When we build transitional housing, we need to make a commitment to the neighborhood that takes on that Tony, site. thank you for the bits. Your neighborhood will be better, not worse off. Maybe throwing that money at Matt Mayhem is actually a pretty good metaphor for like, you an opportunity city to of San Jose, actually. Give some input. It means not concentrating them all in one part of town or a couple parts of town. He's not answering the question. Very importantly, 
I do think that we should have a setback around these sites. We now have a setback based on a memo I wrote last year around schools. We do not allow encampments in the city of San Jose within 150 feet of schools. I think that actually should be a larger setback. I think we should have a setback from the center of our creeks because we've been sued for the amount of pollution going into our watershed. And similarly, I think that when a neighborhood takes on a transitional site or a didn't people used to live near creeks before and not pollute the shit out of the creeks like that was just like a thing that people did hundreds of years ago? They don't want and start part of that is not having encampments grow around that site. I think that's a basic guarantee we ought to give a neighborhood. Supervisor Chavez, your thoughts on that? I think that every time we um, offer people services, we need to make sure that we don't have people coming back there. So what that means is that we're actually reducing the number of encampments and the size of those encampments, and we should be doing it in a really assertive way. And the one thing I just want to say to all of you who have supported Measure A and have been really compassionate about how we're handling homelessness, even though we've moved 20,000 people into housing, we have another 10,000 people to go, and I'm not satisfied that we're done. But the importance of that, the importance of completing that um, process is that we need to- Lady B, that's not just how Matt Mahan comes across. You are work, and what that means is that we need to be able to keep those- You, you have accurately assessed the situation. Uh, in perpetuity. Thank you both- So pause it, if you can, sorry. About, yeah. uh, One more time. Um, I really wanna use this opportunity because um, we're an hour in, and I wanna make, just point this out. Uh, there's a fallacy at work here. Um, an encampment ban would be redundant in San Jose, in the city of San Jose, the encampments you see, the people, the folks you see living in tents on the streets or in public spaces in the public right of way, that's illegal. That is illegal. It's illegal in most places to sleep in your car. Um, we have bans on these things already, right? The problem is one, how do you enforce it? Where do you enforce it? Do you enforce it humanely? Do you recognize that you have, these are people we're dealing with. These are not numbers. These aren't like data points that go into a, a, a metric report at the end of a year. These are people. You know, he, he rattles off the numbers. 200 people died on our streets last year. Yeah. People with families, with moms, right? Uh, and with kids possibly, or the kids themselves. But it, it's just, it ignores the, fa he, he, the, the things like uh, encampment ban, right? Like death panels. It riles people up over nothing, over something that's that's useless. Like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll enact an encampment ban in your neighborhood. There is an encampment ban in your neighborhood, right? It's just that we don't have the resources, nor do we feel it's necessary in some cases to sweep them all the time and to, to, to force people out of what is what they're calling home, even if it's not something that you look you would like to live in. It's their home. Um, so I'm not interested in moving people out of their home without giving them a place to go. Right. And, uh, if, if, uh, if you need an encampment ban in your neighborhood to feel better about the people that are going to be living in like basically a hut, you know, they're either living in a tent or they're living in a hut, but they're still living in your neighborhood. So really your problem is with those people. It's not with the, it really isn't with the, the vessel or the, the place where they're, that they're calling home. It's with the people themselves. And I think, a lot of folks out there in San Jose need to admit that to themselves. Um, they won't, but I think they should. Right. I mean, it's the same reason that people don't want density coming to their to their suburban neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Then poor people are going to come. Then them, them, them black, black and brown people are going to come to their community and take all their parking. It's also ridiculous, too, because a lot of the people 
who like own the homes and stuff around around here like wouldn't be able to pay the rent on the new apartments that are coming in and maintain true. their my, current quality of life. Very true. My mom's in that category, right? She bought a house here, you know, God bless her soul, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago almost now. Um, no way she could afford the same house today. No way. Yeah, so it's like, it's, it's, it's weird. True salary. It's weird because if you put in like dense apartments in like these people's nice neighborhood, most of the people that are going to come in there they're not going to be homeless people, right? It's going to be, it's mm -hmm. going to be like young people who are working and those young people are going to mm -hmm. be like professionals. I'm like, Oh, it's so stupid. Yeah. Cause if it's in their neighborhood where it's like really nice, the apartments are going to go for more. For sure. For sure. And then you should end up with, with one kind of people living in your city and who wants that, right? And how that's that going to work when no one else, when people who do everything else other than being a tech bro, you know, need to live here and, and work here. Where, where are they going to live? And then they're commuting and then, you know, your, your freeways are snarled again and all the, you can have all the high speed rail you want, but that's going to be snarled too. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. And you end up with, with pasty white cities and, you know, black and brown suburbs. Public safety and criminal justice with Maria, but I just want to remind everyone in the audience, we are taking your questions as well. So if you have them, jot them down, a, a producer will come around and, and collect them. Maria? Thank you so much, Guy. Uh, indeed, we're going to go to the public safety. Vamos ahora a hacer algunas preguntas sobre seguridad pública. That's what we were already doing, right? Ambos candidatos y después eh, individualmente. I mean, they've been, they've been lacing it in, right? Clean city, safe city. Que nos conteste esta primera pregunta y voy a comenzar en español. En San José, el número de policías es más bajo que en otras ciudades con menos habitantes como San Francisco. Ambos candidatos, ustedes dos coinciden en que hace falta contratar más policías para mantener a la ciudad segura. Pero, ¿qué medidas concretas van a aplicar para que la policía contrate agentes que reflejen la diversidad étnica de la ciudad? Y además, ¿qué puede hacer la ciudad para retener a sus oficiales cuando muchos de ellos están trabajando turnos muy largos y tienen que usar horas extras para compensar por la falta de personal? Vamos ahora a escucharla en inglés. Inglés. I'll let her do it. So, in English, San Jose, like other cities, faces a shortage in police officers. How will you ensure that San Jose PD hires new officers that reflect the diversity like the community. of the city? Yeah. And how can San Jose Important. police better retain its officers as many officers are already working very long hours and overtime? And let's start with you. Thank you. First of all, um, thank you for the question. And I'll just start by saying that the city of San Jose um, should and could um, hire many more officers than it has today. When I served on the city council 16 years ago, San Jose was the safest big city in the country. At that time, we had 200 more officers than we do today here in the city. We have 100,000 more people. Um, the question that's asked is a really good one, which is how do we recruit the best and the brightest and to make sure they reflect the community that they're, they're working in. And when I was deciding whether or not to run for mayor, there were a number of people that I went out to speak to, and one of them was the Peace Officers Association because I wanted to make sure they were all in. Cop union. They were going to be helping us mm -hmm. recruit and retain and working with our all in with her. colleges and working deeply with the communities that, um, that live, work, and play already here. You know, I, I think, for one, we don't nearly 
uh, connect enough with high schools and the colleges in our areas to let them know about all the great jobs there are in public service whether that's being a police officer, a firefighter, a nurse, a doctor. We have so many needs, a planner. Um, and so I would look forward to a much more robust relationship with the community in terms of being able to get them attracted to wanting to work in our, in our great city. Well, I want to start by making sure people understand why we have fewer officers today. When Supervisor Chavez was vice mayor, she and her colleagues voted for unfunded and in some cases stop 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 <laughs> fuck this guy fuck this fucking revisionist history motherfucker right here he's what he, i guarantee you i know he's about to tell you we're gonna say uh supervisor chavez when she was on the council voted for untenable union contracts that created these unfunded liabilities in the pension system and because of that, the city was falling apart financially and had to make drastic cuts and lay off a bunch of officers and blah, blah, blah. And then we had to put a measure on the ballot that you all approved. Thank you so much for 70% 70, 70 of the people in San Jose voting to approve, where we forced uh, pension reform upon our public employees, basically broke their contract by public will um, and, and forced them to accept uh, an entirely different situation that they hadn't signed on for um, and they hadn't negotiated. Um, and lo and behold, ended up in court over that pension reform for five years until the point where the city had to settle with the unions and admit that they fucked up. And so basically rescinded everything the public vote did and wasted tens of millions of dollars of city legal fees. Uh, and then he's not going to tell you all this. <laughs> and then, uh, eventually put on the ballot a reform measure or, or, you know, a sort of compromise measure that should have been negotiated in the first place. And lo and behold, once that was done, the mass exodus of public employees from the city who said, fuck you, why are you screwing with my pension, you asshole, um, started to stem. And now we've actually seen uh, some some folks come back to PD and to other departments and we're rebuilding our ranks. But it took 10 years, 10, 12 years to really rebuild the trust with the public employees and, and to rebuild the trust between them and the city and the people in the city and to get the get all the legal wranglings out of the way. But what this guy's going to tell you is that it's all Supervisor Chavez's fault because when she was on the council, she voted to actually give public employees a decent living after they retire. God forbid, because they've made the sacrifice to be in public service and not in the private sector and not be a tech bro. Uh, they've made that sacrifice and God forbid they should have a pension that they can live on after they retire, right? After their bodies are broken by public service. But this guy's going to tell you that it's all their fault and it's all her fault. And that's complete and utter fucking bullshit because what his uh, endorsing current mayor and that guy's predecessor did was fight for and push for that very pension reform that got us in this mess in the first place and caused a mass exodus from the police department. Um, so don't let that revisionist history get in the way of the truth. Sorry. Also, not for nothing, it, 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 it was, <laughs> this, was, this was once the safest big city in America. It's still yes, on that, that. It's still on that short list. Yeah, and also a dumb. I, I again, I do not like the that trope, which is exactly what it is. Let's just get over. It. You're right. It's we're like number four or something like that, or number like, six. Uh, like, oh, yeah. oh, how the mighty have fallen. It's like get the fuck right. out of here. Like fucking yeah. things change. And when the when right. the when like the number of murders is that low. Like one more murder could like from year over year could drop you from first to fifth. Right. Right. Um, and I remember, and this has been the thing ever since we weren't ever since we haven't been the best, right? There was one year where we were the best. We were the, the safest big city, right? You know really it was funny? just one year. Is it was like one year. Last year, 2021, the, the Sunnyvale 
<laughs> took it for like it's like but, but oh. it's just right there right it's it's free so months always on the list too it's like well free months just right there it's like what are you talking about right like like, like win, a, win me a championship go out go out and win me a championship like what an uh. what an embarrassment of like what an embarrassing thing to be mad about that like oh we're not the safest big city in the in the in the country according to something but actually the one that borders us it took it from us like get the fuck out of here like well it's american exceptionalism right at its finest right only on a local like a hyper local level right we want to beat the best right um and yet we have this inferiority complex right we're constantly we're wanting to be san francisco right but we, you know we want to be number one in things we want to be like them right um so it's like this inferiority superiority complex all at once manifest destiny compensation commitments that led the okay. city to ultimately accrue over four billion dollars in debt that we're <sighs> to pay off today 50 bullshit of our it was like imaginary debt it's future debt it's future obligations sorry it's future obligations yes at if you look at like a a pension system you're paying it forward all the employees that are there now are paying it forward into the system so that they can cash in later and there are times when you go through an economic recession, especially, where if you look at it with current projections in the current year, yes, the city may not be able to pay its obligations long term, but that anticipates absolutely zero change in you know, how, it's, how it's structured, what the economic situation is, what the conditions are, what the tax situation is over that entire course of time, like 30, 40 years. And so people like this dipshit and his predecessors use the, the and his predecessor tech bros, use that as a, a scare tactic to get people to hack into pub, to, uh, public employees and try to cut back and make cuts and use more computers, I don't know, to get things done. Um, but it's like, anyway. um, it's, like, it's like you buy a house and at the, your mortgage is like kind of high. You're, you yeah. feel like it is because you're like just kind of getting going or whatever. Well, yeah. some kind of American dream bullshit. Well, right. then you're like, oh, well, that's, that's, you know, that mortgage is a lot of your income or whatever, but that like, doesn't factor in like any future advances you or and if you have a partner you and your partner might have in your careers any windfalls you might you might Correct. get any market Correct. conditions that just might make your debt worth less in real dollar terms like it yeah. just it just all of it all of it yeah, it's, like, it's like it's this it's that it's it's that stupid it's very stupid yeah and it's it's simple it, right it's as simple as your mortgage like i can think about it in terms of that i can look at my mortgage right now and i can look whatever how many years i think it's now I think it's down to 28 years or 29 years now, but I can look out and see every single payment I need to make until the end of that 29 years if I kept making the same payment every month to pay it down. But that assumes that I'm going to make the same payment every month for the next 29 years. I really don't plan on doing that. Like there will be windfalls. There will be times when we make investments in paying that down, right? And paying down the principal. Um, so over time, it's not going to take 29 years. It'll probably take less. Um, but it doesn't prevent guys like this from using that as a scare tactic again with people who don't know much better and really don't have the time or the wherewithal to find out Wait, much better. Didn't this guy like run startups that probably were running at a loss when he sold them off to like who, you know oh, what I'm saying? hundred percent. Like hundred <laughs> like, percent. This, bu this bullshit about like saving the world and, and, and creating these incredibly successful businesses and making payroll. It's like he had, what do you have? 25 employees, maybe 30, a oh, hundred employees. Okay. He's like probably point. burning some rich assholes money. Like, the whole time no nowhere near the thousands of employees he has to deal with at the city level like the, the pd alone is 1100 sworn officers right like there's he's never managed a, a, an organization of this scale before and usually no one has when they become mayor so the, the the pompous arrogance that it takes to say that i can come in and solve things is exactly like we heard from fucking trump 
So let's face and, and this guy shies away from the comparison, but it's true. Everything he said, maybe he, whether he believes it or not, everything he says lines up completely with that mentality and he's using that to try to win. So he shouldn't hide from it anymore. Just embrace it. You're using it because it's, a, it's an effective tool because I hear back from people, oh, he's fresh face and he's got new ideas. And what do you think of this guy? And common sense, fuck you. <laughs> but like, people, name, people, name his new idea. Right, but people buy into it, right? They're like, well, I, I, you know, I couldn't tell you this you know, kind of thing. It's, it's one of those things, and uh, some of like the things that we do on the other nights here, there's like a little bit of a through line. He's like one of these guys that like would tell you how great it is that you're currently able to have the conversation that you're having, right? He's one of these, <laughs> he would tell you that you and him are intellectuals because you're having the conversation. And right, we do a whole right. But this is I'm like very the, proud to live in a country where we can we can agree to disagree and have this conversation about what's really important for our city. Yeah, we're like, but this is like the local politics version of like the fuck Joe Rogan show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the you know right. oh, 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 boy isn't it isn't it great that we're here talking about this man? Nobody else is talking about this. This is just like I'm have and you're like well you're not even talking about anything. What are you talking about that no one else is talking about? And the thing this nobody ever asked this guy is what is your new idea? Where is the new idea? What right. is the what is the untested? What is the thing that you're bringing that is new? And you know what I mean? Because yeah. nobody ever asks that. Yeah, it appears. I mean, from everything he's saying, it, what it appears to be is his new idea is just all the old ideas, just you know, common sense, right? Like just you know, just a common sense will solve everything. Pragmatism will solve everything. Business, a business like attitude will solve everything, and. Also, side, side note, side burn, he's been burning nonprofits lately in the nonprofit industrial complex, which is a thing in Santa Clara County, I'll admit it, um, but it's, an, it's a complex where there's organizations that are actually doing good. You can't fault them for fighting for their little piece of the pie and, and fighting for, for more funding and fighting for their little fiefdom, but they're doing good things for the most part, uh, the nonprofit community does. And again, people who are like public servants, not in it for the money, not in it for the riches and, the, and that, they're doing it for the right reasons. He's demonizing them too, um, because Cindy Chavez is very friendly with that community. So he's demonizing them and, and saying that they're not worth it, and then we need to really look at all the contracts we have with the nonprofit sector um, and whether or not they're they're very effective. And it, it it to be honest with you, I think that rather than running government like a business, government should be run like a nonprofit. I've run a nonprofit, and it's all about maximizing every dollar, like he says, respecting every dollar, respecting the taxpayers' dollars respecting every dollar and making sure things are working because in a nonprofit, if your programs aren't working right and you're throwing a bunch of money down the hole, you're not going to be around very long. You're not going to be around much longer, right? It's, you don't, it doesn't take very long for a nonprofit to fall apart when you're not doing things right or, or you're not following your mission and investing in your mission. So if this guy wants to run things like a business, it's like I ask him what business, right? Because there's so many businesses that are corrupt and people are skimming off the top in a nonprofit. If someone's skimming off the top, that nonprofit's not going to be around much longer guaranteed um so right, then you that, really if you, let's run things more like that than like a business sorry and there are nonprofits that are basically some rich guy's ego grift but that's Correct. different because like that's found, got like, some rich those are like foundations yeah those are like foundations that just give out money like but as far as like the nitty-gritty folks that are doing the work and getting government contracts they're not the ones you need to be going after bro so 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 back off them and i'd say i would actually argue that if man if we could get some of the there's some nonprofit CEOs in Santa Clara County and in San Jose who, man, if we could get them all elected and, and get a majority of them on the city council, you'd see some shit happen. You would see some shit happen because they 
they don't give a fuck, right? They they are ready to to fight and to work and to get things done, and they don't they don't want to take no for an answer. Nonprofit people don't take no for an answer. They find a way to say yes. They're not trying to find an excuse to say no. They're looking for a way to say yes, and that's what we need in government. We don't need any more of this this guy. <laughs> you paying taxes today comes off the top to backfill the unfunded liabilities that we accrued in the 90s and early 2000s. We could have a, a police department today twice the size of the one we have had we not made fiscally irresponsible decisions 20-some years ago. I will prioritize police staffing as my number one priority. We can, in a fiscally responsible way, add a couple dozen officers a year if we want to fund other services. But I will also work to make sure that our officers feel supported. And right what now, many mean? of our policies do not achieve that, starting with the fact that your officers in the staff department are arresting the same people over and over again because the rest of the system is failing to intervene give them a hug. in cycles of addiction and mental illness and criminal behavior. He's going to go to every briefing room at the SJPD and give him a hug. A couple things that I would just say. Thank you One for your service. What really happened here was that in 2010 and 12, then Mayor Reed decided when the economy crashed that we were going to blame public employees for that. They put Thank an you. initiative on the ballot that got all of the community angry at our police officers and our firefighters. They voted to make a change to the pensions, which later had to be voted on again because it had to be fixed because part of it was unlawful and we lost 300 officers. Part of the Justin reason with I'm the raid. More goats. interested in being mayor of San Jose is that is a problem that needs to be fixed. The reason our officers don't feel appreciated isn't because of the, I mean, what Matt just said, it's because they don't feel appreciated by the city. They don't feel like they um, have the support of the public. And that is something that absolutely needs to change. In addition to that, the city of San Jose has spent 50 million or $45 million over the last five years on overtime on overtime. That means you have enough money to hire officers. Have and we want people to respond. We want them to be the best and the brightest. We want them to act in the but most But they're cops. You're never going to get that. Come on. I want an officer. Well, especially if you're trying to staff up quickly. Coming to my home if I, you know, if I need them. I I want a fresh you know, well-rested somebody who wants to be there. We can do this together, I mean, but we shouldn't. If you need a cop at your house, it's not like they want to be there. I don't expect the, the cop to be like world. wanting to be there. San Jose. At like, the yeah, I love being here to solve this issue with a mentally ill person with a I don't blame blade. the workers who signed up for a job and were told what their compensation would be. I blame the politicians who were too cozy with their He's like, why didn't you just sell the police to Pinterest, you idiots? Like, and, if you, and if you blame the politicians, then fine. Sit down with the unions and renegotiate a deal that's better for everyone in the long term instead of forcing something down their throat, which is exactly what happened. And by the way, this guy was nowhere near the fucking situation when it happened. He's just he's throwing rocks in not like a glass house. He just has no house to to live in because he wasn't there. Right. She was actually in the trenches at the time. And this guy was like, you know, I think still at Bellarmine trying to learn how to be a tech pro. Have you heard of Boston Dynamics? Have you thought of replacing the police with them? <laughs> okay, maybe he was at Harvard bunking up with uh, Mark Zuckerberg. That's actually, I'm pretty sure, true. I think he lived in the same dorm as Zuck. Um, they were buddies. He had apparently he had an opportunity to get in early on Facebook, but um, didn't, and then ended up with causes as like a consolation prize. Can you sell the cops to Palantir? 
political supporters and made deals that were good for the politicians and those union leaders, but ultimately put the city on the path to bankruptcy. And we need responsible. The city of San Jose was not going to go bankrupt. No, I mean, it actually can't. Uh, You actually have to balance the budget every year um, at the city um, and have, you know, so it's in some way. So either, yeah, you lay people off or, you know, or you make and you make cuts or you're, you have a surplus and you're spending it or saving it. Um, but yeah, you have to balance the budget every year. So yeah, the city's not going bankrupt anytime soon. Um, yep. But again, more scare tactics. It's going to push back when your biggest political supporter asks for things that aren't in the common interest. Okay, so this will be your last Yeah, rebuttal. thank you. I, on this front, let me just remind you, it was the entire council. I would argue that they weren't all cozy with the police department. And one of them was Mayor Reed, your supporter. I, I, we were competing as we are today, as we are today to attract people to come to the city of San Jose. And what I think, the reason I think it's so important that we understand what happened is because the implications of what we do next rest on what we understand happened in the past. And and honest to goodness, I think that blaming workers for the economic downturn, that is actually what happened that destroyed our police department. And we are going to get it back. We are going to get it back and we're going to get them back to work. Uh, so we're going to move on. Uh, I know that you both want to go further into this, but we have uh, some time uh, allowed for each one. Um, so we're going to go now to a question that it's a pre-recorded question. And uh, you're going to... Uh, oh, God, that. they don't have like a computer there so that they could like... Oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And, there, and this is like on TV. That's why I figured it out. It's live on TV. That's why there's a, t- there's a delay. So we get on TV, we get the question, but in-house, they don't... They have to repeat it. They're, they like go uh, silent in house while the audience, and then I will rephrase to you and uh, let's hear that for our live stream audience. Hi, my name is Marissa Martinez, and I grew up in East Tennessee, yeah, I know you. and I currently live in District Three. My question is: How do you plan to implement alternatives to policing? Neither of them do. This is a question uh, from Marisa Martinez. Uh, She grew up in San Jose and she currently lives in District 3. And her question is, how do you plan to implement alternatives to policing? Uh, En español sería, ¿cómo planean implementar alternativas a la aplicación de las tácticas policiacas? Eh, Vamos a comenzar con esta with Matt Mahan first. I think it sounds better Thank in Spanish. Very much. First of all, let me say, I think the most important investment... Let me say, buenos noches. ...prevention of crime in the first place, which is about investing in our children, their education, after-school programming, job training... Ooh, isn't that easy for him to say when the fucking city doesn't fund the schools? Correct. <laughs> Correct. ...at-risk youth. When it comes to police response specifically... Not every 911 call requires an officer with a badge and a gun. Our city and county, I think very belatedly, given that other places like the state of Oregon have been doing this for years, have begun to do a joint response in which a mental health professional is the first to respond. I think that is a great... What? Uh-oh. Well, if the oh, lost the speed. Uh, officers well, actually- were outliers in terms of their use of force or other statistics that are troubling to make sure we intervene and get them training 
or reassign them to a desk job or help them find a different career. Help them find a different career? Like, what are you talking about? If you fired somebody at one of your weird fucking tech pro jobs, you're like, oh shit, clean out your desk. I guess you could keep your <laughs> stock options. Get out. Like, <laughs> Right. What do you mean help them find another job? Uh, fucking if a cop gets fired for being a fucking aggressive asshole or whatever, don't help him find another job or her find another job. Be like, you're fired. You've, you're gone. You can figure it out yourself. If the data is indicating that they are not living up to our standards. And so I think there's a lot we can do to improve data. policing, but I just want to reinforce yes. everywhere I go, again, the number one MacBook Air deciding which cops keep their jobs. It's going to be crazy. Faster response time hey, man. For community policing. Ms. Chavez. We have a great opportunity, and that is that now that 988 is, gonna, is a national number, and I'll just share all of that with you, that if you see somebody who's in mental distress or you are feeling suicidal, you can dial 988. And what the good news about that is, is that 988 will also offer an opportunity to have uh, peer mentors, the trust program, available, and that just got kicked Ooh. off. We're hiring people uh, now um, to be able to do that non-police um, response for somebody who's got a mental illness. Like, I think that is probably what the person's question was intended to ask about. Um, the second thing I'll add is that in addition to that, we do have two different types of police response now for people who have mental health issues. And one's called MCAT and one's called PERT. One can actually respond with mental health workers even when there's a, a weapon involved in the, in the um, engagement, and the other is when there's no weapon. I say all of that because if, in fact, we could have more police officers and continue to hire more clinicians, we'd be able to send more of these kinds of responses out. And what's really critical is that we have a very old-fashioned system, right? You dial 911 and a fire truck comes and a cop comes and... He breaks in. He's like, have you heard a voice over IP? <laughs> Do you know about the metaverse? Can you call? You could call the cops in the metaverse. Yeah, you can, and we'll send a robot out to you know, facilitate the situation. Please put the weapon down. <laughs> you you need the- help. I am here to assist you. You ever seen Short Circuit? We're sending number five. Number five. Be much more refined so that we're using our resources more. Number carefully. five alive. I think 988 is going to give us that opportunity to learn how to do this better and better and better. Oh, man. Uh, so we're going to move to uh, another question now. Uh, this is an individual question uh, for Cindy Chavez, and uh, we're going to go first in Spanish. Entre los grupos que le han brindado su apoyo abiertamente, eh, y continuamos con el tema, está la Asociación de Policías de San José. Sin embargo, muchos residentes de la ciudad, en particular latinos e indocumentados, no confían demasiado en la policía. ¿Cómo intentará mejorar la percepción que se tiene de esta corporación? So one of the groups that has supported you openly is the San Jose Police Association. However, there are many residents, in particular undocumented immigrants, who do not trust law enforcement. How would oh. you try to improve the perception of law enforcement among these communities? Yeah, thank you for the question. One of the most important parts of our system is making sure that everybody feels confident dialing 911 or 311 or 988. And one of the challenges we have, again, because we don't have enough officers, is that we don't have the really deep community policing that we used to have where officers actually got to know people in the neighborhoods that they were in. And so 
I think that one of the best things we oh, could do we'll is just turn everything into Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. That a community policing is a core component of what those officers do to get to know their neighborhoods. And I also think it would allow us to customize the police response by neighborhood. What are the things that neighborhood is most concerned with? Yes, we're le- less afraid of Cindy Chavez. That is true. Are they most concerned with porch pirates. Yeah, <laughs> I'm less that. terrified of, um, and I think that of the future she gives us because this guy's future is like Boston Dynamics robots smacking you for smoking a cigarette on the street. Sure people knew they weren't being asked if they were documented or not. And I do think that most people in our community do not smoke. Between San Jose police you will not be alive. Uh, immigration and number five alive. I think that that conversation and that continued leadership from people like. I think his future is going to be RoboCop. Have you ever seen that movie Brazil? Thank you so much. Uh, oh yeah, Brazil. Um, and it says, what has central services successes in your current position? What lesson have you learned from your experience? that you would uh, bring to the mayor's office. And um, I will ask this to both of you because it comes from our audience, and then I'll continue to the individual question with Mr. Mayhem. So you can start. Oh, thank you. Um, so I, as a member of the Board of Supervisors, um, I would say the effort that, um, that I co-led to address COVID-19 in our community, I think particularly given that countywide, 40% of all of our community are foreign born and we're the most vaccinated large city and most vaccinated large county, really was because of the work that we were able to do together. The other thing I would just say is that um, I played a leadership role in making sure that when St. Louis and O'Connor hospitals were going bankrupt and the DePaul Center, that we bought those hospitals, the county did, that saved 451 beds and two emergency rooms in our community. So that, that to me, that we did that before COVID, thank goodness, we didn't know COVID was coming, but it was a blessing that we did that. You know, we as a county um, test rape kits um, faster than any other county in the nation. And I led that effort and to make sure we did not have a backlog anymore in our community for um, those kits. And, and I'll just add one other that I, that I think is just really important. And that is that we have a child advocacy center here that allows us to interview a child that's been abused, interview them one time, have all the services around that child and their family. Um, And that is a multi-jurisdictional approach to making sure that children are safe in our community that combines nonprofits as well. And that's a partnership that I also Uh have at the district attorney's office. Thank you, Ms. Chavez. And we go with uh, Mr. Mahan on that. Thank you, and I'll just touch on a couple quickly as well. So first of all, I'm very proud of the transitional housing site that we were building at Branham and Monterey that came up earlier. We were using prefabricated modular units on government-owned land. It'll be the first site in the city that will stack them three high with shared on-site space for counseling and job training. And it's, it's that kind of innovation. We're cutting the cost of bringing someone indoors. You're stacking a few containers. A factor of four. We're going to have to do things faster, more cost-effectively, more pragmatically if we're going to turn the corner on street homelessness, which has grown worse despite the fact that we're paying more. I want to talk about the 311 app briefly, which delivers basic city services. When I began chairing our Smart Cities Committee, two-thirds of residents had a bad experience using that app. After a year and a half of using performance management techniques to isolate what wasn't working and improve service delivery, God, <laughs> shut up. Two-thirds of residents no. say that they have a good experience using the 311 app. So I think it's that kind of focus, measurement, and innovation. Like, have you ever made a really good spreadsheet? With our limited public dollars. 
Thank you so much. And now we're going to go with an individual right. question uh, for Mr. Mahan. Producer Dave, I actually have to bolt pretty soon. I'm getting the, the page from a supreme leader. That's all right. Go, but, uh, as much as I love listening to, to this, I'm going to run with it till the end. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to pop off then if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Just turn off your camera before you drop the connection. We'll do. Thank you, everybody. ¿Cómo va a ser usted see, well, que la información de los residentes de la ciudad sea utilizada para otros fines? And now in English. You propose the use of technology to solve crimes and you support the use of plate readers. Okay, the answer to the question here is what technology do you support to stop the crime? Like what technology are you talking about? He's like, well, have you heard of Palantir? I'll be right back. I got to pee. But many are worried about their privacy and are afraid that their private information might end up in someone else's hands. For example, undocumented residents are worried that ICE might access this database. How will you make sure that this information is used properly? Thank you for the question. And just to clarify for the audience, I've supported and actually helped get into the budget funding for automatic license plate readers, which give our officers another tool. We have a very thinly staffed police department, and when we have street racing and speeding and smash and grab robberies, we can't have officers everywhere they need to be all the time. Technology helps us to do better enforcement. But to the point of the question, it is very important, and I'm proud of the work that our team is doing at the city, that we have very clear data privacy standards, data retention standards. We delete the data on a regular schedule unless it is being actively used to investigate a crime. We have an advisory council of, made up of privacy experts who give us input on the policies we should implement around the collection and use of that data. So it's a very serious issue. We are taking it seriously, but our officers need more tools. And frankly, your license plate number is not exactly private information, given that it is tacked on the front and back of your vehicle. Thank you very much. Um, so I am going to toss back to my colleague, Guy Marsorati, for questions on housing and development. If you have a question for the candidates on those topics, just remember uh, that you have some cards and you can pass that to us. Guy. Thank you, Maria. The state of California says San Jose needs to build roughly 20,000 <laughs> like, units of low-income housing <coughs> over the next decade. That's amazing. You, Council Member Mahan, is how do you actually get those affordable units built? It's a great question. I'm going to go back to something I, I brought up a little bit earlier, which is that we have made it too expensive and too difficult to build housing, even where we want it, in places like downtown San Jose and near transit, where it will not make our yeah, no 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 fully robotic crime units yet significantly worse so like yo this guy's terrifying right i heard him saying that your license plate actually isn't private information well it's not your license plate that people don't like about fucking license plate scanners or whatever it's that they use the license plate scanner to figure out where you are all the time right it's okay if people know the license plate number of your car the government has to know the license plate number of your car. That's not why people don't like license plate scanners. It's like, what do you mean you're just going to know where the fuck I went today? Why do you need to know where the fuck I went every day? 
Like that's why people don't like the license plate scanners. Like I could, I couldn't believe when I walked back in. I don't know the rest of what he was saying, but it was weird. Approached and he had to have been talking about license plate scanners. To remove barriers to allow investment to flow into the city to build housing where we need it. Historically, ninety plus percent, I believe, about ninety five. Joe Bros just metadata. <laughs> was built by private developers. Funny as fuck. Got loans from a bank to build housing for a growing population. We have added so many rules, such slow permitting times, just to get an environmental review to build housing where we want it in downtown can take a year and a half, which means the person doesn't invest in building housing there, they go build in the Central Valley, which is far from environmentally friendly. And when we build- Wait, no, what, what if they also work in the Central Valley? What if this guy becomes the mayor and, and like all the cool people just leave? housing we have inclusionary requirements that ensure that a portion of it is deed restricted to be affordable but ultimately we have a scale problem we are off by orders of magnitude we are seeing the amount of permits issued and units online dropping year this is like year. evil beto o'rourke that's who this guy is i'll be right back i'm gonna pour a cocktail pass another billion dollar bond that by the way costs two billion to pay off and doesn't build that much housing when the cost of construction is over $800,000 a door. We need a fundamentally different approach that starts with making San Jose a place where people want to build housing and can make it pencil out so they can build the housing we need where we want it in places like downtown and neurotransit corridors. Supervisor Chavez, every city has to set these lofty goals around planning for affordable housing. How do you actually get it built? Well, first of all, let me just say the state of California's rules are, um, are ones that we're going to have to fight city by city, in part because the expectation is too high in terms of what they're asking us to, to um, hit. But all that said, um, a lot of the challenges that we have here in San Jose are kind of self-inflicted. As an example, we made changes to our general plan 10 years ago that dropped the percentage of you know, permits that were being even requested by 25%, which means that over the last 10 years, we lost about 10,000 units of housing. And, you know, and I, and I think that the point about making sure that we're being creative is really an important one. So Valley Transportation Authority, at my request, has 200 acres that we're putting up RFQs and RFPs for so that you can build uh, at workplaces or you can build housing there and a third of all of the housing that gets built has to be affordable so some of it very low income so some low income and some um, market rate I mean um, I'm sorry just uh, very low low income and yeah extremely, low. extremely yeah. low I knew I missed one of them so in any case if we can support their efforts to get that housing built um, you know, I think that we're going to be able to get closer. One thing we need to do is we actually, honestly, we need to bring everybody around the table, including the developers, to figure out how we're going to hit those numbers. We're now going to go to a... But what if we replace the developer with, like, the... Um, you've seen that thing on the internet where you put the words into the, the into your, into thing on your browser and it gives you a picture? ...reported question uh, from the community on this topic of housing and home ownership. Again, bear with us while we have the pause to play this out for our audiences at home. Hi, my name is Vanessa Chan. I live in Evergreen, um, Eastside San Jose. And one question I have for you is, what can you do for home ownership um, for the middle class? The question is from Vanessa Tran. She lives in Evergreen. And her question is, what can you do to improve home ownership for the middle class? Supervisor Chavez, we'll start with you. 
Well, first of all, I think we can do more with the public and private sector. We have in the Housing Trust a fund that allows us to make it easier for people to get uh, loans. In fact, the county tried this as well as part of our Measure A, um, you know, our, our Measure A bond, and that was to affordable by who disposable to buy homes by putting down three percent. The fund would fund the other seventeen percent, and then they they would be able to afford the mortgage. The challenge is we don't have enough housing. Um, that's within a affordable range at all. So part of what we need to do is make sure that we're building more housing as quickly as we can. In no, no, no. What you need to do is expropriate all the housing that is being, all, especially all the single family homes that are being rented out by these big ass companies. HK was saying when he lived in Sunnyvale, he, like, he kind of knew his neighbors and he didn't know anyone who was a homeowner and it was all like freestanding single family homes. So they were all like owned by a corporation. In order to start to bring those prices down. Well, RoboCop doesn't the need money. That we're using is a partly from the housing bond, but the other part of it RoboCop, is RoboCop uh, trades on something else. It's a relatively large. Also, I think RoboCop can just sleep outside. It's a robot. A very low interest rate, and then what we're trying to do is make sure we can replenish the fund. So as people sell their homes, the fund will be refunded, and that way other people will be able to use that same fund. But ultimately, the most important thing we can do. Why don't you just do, do that and buy that fucking whole house outright? Rate, so it's easier for people to have <laughs> people houses. Councilmember Mayhan. So far and away, adding more supply has to be priority number one. And I know some folks will say, well, that new housing isn't affordable because it's so expensive to build. So did you see that YouTube video about that giant 3D printer? It's true. It's not affordable to everyone. But for every tech worker, if you will, who ends up in one of those new units, that's one less person bidding, competing for and bidding up the price of the rest of the housing stock. So we fundamentally have a market supply and demand imbalance that is the single biggest problem by far. And we've talked about that a little bit. I think we can also signs for this guy all the fuck over this neighborhood opportunities for home ownership. And I'll just give you an example. Or two. We have just stack all the tech workers up somewhere. Put them in the Remember, he was talking earlier right about the now, fucking stackable houses. How long the tech our workers processes, processes take, how high our fees are, whether or not they want to bet on San Jose. But they're looking at new models such as a rent to own approach where you. Right. You like give it a snazzy name or whatever, right? You give it a fucking snazzy name and it's just like stacked up uh, containers. You just be like C O N T. A Y N R and just fucking and like make people like make people piss in a hole in their container with a Y. A portion of it go to the principal so that over time you're building up that nest egg to make a down payment and ultimately purchase that condo. And so I think there are new approaches that we should be encouraging. Another is more affordable by design. Your planning department doesn't make it easy enough to change the configuration of a building to have more shared space. We should be incentivizing new approaches. Oh, no. Like, did you, from hey, man, have you ever lived in a dorm? Wouldn't that be great for you and your family to just, like, live in a dorm? Have you ever lived in a co-op? Have you ever lived in a coder house, man? Prefab to affordable by design strategies to rent to own models. I think there are a lot of new strategies we need to be encouraging to create new opportunities. Councilmember Mayhan, last year you voted to approve a new housing commercial development near the new Berryessa BART station on the site of the city's historic flea market. I want to know what steps you're going to take as mayor 
to help the flea market vendors who will be displaced in the future by this project, and then how you're going to hold those landowners uh, accountable for the development agreement that they made with the city. Yeah, it's a great question. So we actually, as a council, he's like, "Fuck the flea market." He's like, "Have you ever been to a farmers market?" Into they a have fund like asparagus. Support. God, I'm oh, sorry. I know I'm being childish. And the reality is that any change, any development, is hard. It it creates trade-offs, and we absolutely need to do everything we can oh, to I thought support. That's something else up there on the screen. I was like, "What?" I was like, "Oh, that's not what that says." So what we're doing in that case is creating with the developer. The, the intention is to create a public market. It won't be as large as the one that was there, but to help as many of the current vendors actually still operate out of that site. We have the ability through. No, you're not, you're going to build like fucking like you're going to build like medium upper like fucking condos for upper middle class and upper class San Jose residents who want to live right next to Bart. You're trying to tell me that you're that those people want the fucking flea market vendors downstairs. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, this all sounds like a great idea, but you just have, like, sometimes you just have to be like, I think a lot of those people's jobs at the flea market is, are just going to be lost as we build more housing. If we need to build more housing, we are unfortunately going to have to make trade-offs. You're done answering the question. To find vacant storefronts in other parts of the city, try to help people transition into No, 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 the people that sell at the we flea market aren't going to be able to pay the fucking rent on, like, a shop. That's why they, oh, come on, dude. Has this guy ever, like, is this guy, does, is, this a, is this a real person? Is Matt Mahan a real person? have another flea market Corn in the city, <laughs> and there's a question of can we identify another site somewhere for a flea market that is much like what is being displaced. But I also have to say, it has been our, our, our fear of change that also prevents us from building the housing that we need. And so it's a, it's a tricky situation. We have to be able to continue to evolve and to grow. Give every one of the people, every one of the vendors an apartment. Make the investments, which we're they'll doing take, in this case, to trade. protect those Even like two years in an apartment. negatively impacted by that change. Finding that new site, though, is that a priority for you as mayor? Yes, absolutely. And I have spoken with some of the vendors, and I will absolutely oh, no, do you. everything I can to help them find a new site. He's like, may, have you ever thought of selling this stuff on Amazon? It may not look like what was there. We often can't go back. We have to find better solutions going forward that may look different from the ones we've had. Supervisor Chavez, voters in San Francisco, Santa Cruz, and Berkeley this November are going to vote on a proposal to tax owners of vacant residential units. Supporters of this idea say it'll get more rental properties out on the market. Opponents say, no, it's actually just going to stop the new construction of homes. Should San Jose enact a vacancy tax? I think that's, that's a, it's funny, we just got this question at a forum the other day, and I, I want to do a little more research on it. I understand the intent behind it, but I'm also worried that, um, frankly, that there may be some unintended consequences that I haven't yet studied. I will say, and I just want to go back to this point, that I think it's really, really important to continue to build new housing. I think it would be, and, and as I But if, the, okay, so like, uh, the vacancy tax doesn't work like oh shit your uh, tenant moved out now you're paying a tax on the place there's you got time and if you have like a residential property and you're just like i don't know you don't want to clean it up 
to rent it out because you can like write off the interest or whatever. I don't know, whatever, however it shakes out that it's not really hitting you that hard. If you just don't rent it out and you don't want to go through the hassle of hiring a property manager or whatever. Well, that's different than we're uh, remodeling this place. We're cleaning it up. Our last tenant left. So there's an amount of time. And I think it's like six months or whatever is like the lowest I've ever heard to where the tax may kick in. So like, I, I, it's, it's upsetting a little bit that I know more about this than she does. Vacancy tax, what I worry about is whether or not people um, do, you know, make it more Airbnb instead of actually. A- oh, I would, I'd charge the vacancy tax on those motherfuckers. You ain't got somebody in here on a lease. For people to be able to move into. So I have a lot more homework to do on it. I'm interested in the idea because I think we have to look at every single alternative, every single alternative, whether that's looking at, you know, manufactured housing or new innovative ways to build it. But I don't know that yet. I need to do some more homework on it. Councilmember Mayhan, do you have thoughts on the idea of a vacancy tax in San Jose? I think there are a lot of potential unintended consequences, but I do think there are extreme cases. Like all my dad's friends are landlords. There's one in my district that actually involves residential, I'm sorry, retail space, not residential, where a storefront has remained empty for over a decade. It's becoming a, a blight in the community. And frankly, in those extreme cases, yes, I think we need to price in what you might call the, the negative externality of having a site that's just sitting empty because somebody... But wait a minute, that, the, what the negative externality of having all this housing that's sitting empty for whatever reason is the homeless problem that you want so you claim to want so desperately to solve. It's just that you're not pricing that in because you, you don't see like a... You don't see an empty storefront where somebody could be making money. Uh, fucking eyes don't light up with dollar signs from this. But like the, the, there's a negative externality of all these of vacant housing that's owned by somebody. It's the homeless problem. Or it's rent being sky high. should that absolutely is- be illegal to sit on a residential property for more than a few months. Unless like there's some fucking problem with it. But that's easy enough to... That's easy enough to prove because it's usually going to be the county or the city inspector that's going to tell you that that the problem is there and you can't rent it out but otherwise yeah it should be totally it should be totally illegal to not rent a fucking residential property out and just leave it there is indifferent to the cost and so better pricing that so we can invest in beautiful somebody wants two houses one of them gets to be in tahoe right use of the land i i think is an appropriate tool but i would only want to use it in pretty extreme cases there are plenty of legitimate reasons why a property owner might want to leave an apartment vacant for a couple of leave it open for a couple of years is maybe there's a change in their family or whatever other situation no, no. and i want to be careful that we're not overly intervening wait a minute so you, did he just literally say that you might want to leave an apartment op- empty for a couple years in case there's a change in your family what in case uncle bob just wants your up wants a free apartment i mean i don't know what he meant there i think he must have meant that right that like oh well he that that somebody in your family might want it in the next three years. So you're just going to sit on it. If somebody in your family lives in the apartment you own, it's not vacant. And if you own, if you own the kind of number of apartments where you can just leave one sitting empty in case your uncle needs it. Like, I don't know. This is stupid. What a, what a dumbass. In people's personal decisions with their private property. I want to turn to a question from our audience. You both have said you want to increase the supply of housing in San Jose. This one audience member asked, when you say we need to cut regulations in order to incentivize home building, what specifically, if anything, 
would you reduce? Supervisor Chavez, I'll start with you. Thank you. Um, what I would do is that the city of San Jose used to allow for four general plan amendment changes a year, and now they only allow for one. I would still go back to adding four um, because I think that's very important. Um, second is that I think we have some um, developers, frankly, that we've worked with and that the city has worked with that they've built up the trust of a neighborhood and communities that they should be able to move a little faster than those who may be newer to the community. So I think that's... A oh, I write lump. We no longer, you can't build single family in San Jose anymore. The residential zoning's gone. It's grandfathered in, like if somebody wants to build on this piece of property here, I'm in a single family home now, they build another single family home. They could also build a duplex if they want. Probably the most important thing we can do is hire enough people to work in our planning, building, and code enforcement department. We're short 26% of the people who work there, and because of that, it slows everything down. And if you think about it, planning, building, and code enforcement is a nerve center of a city. It's how you make sure new businesses can come on board, new housing can come on board. If people want to upgrade their homes, that they can do that more quickly and more rapidly. So making sure people needing to upgrade their people wanting to do like cosmetic upgrades or add an addition to their home back of the line that we have, so that we're able I'm to sorry. get rid of the backlog as we restructure that department, because that's one of the areas where we need to really retain talent and it's not structured in a way to do that today but it would be a priority for me because all the things we talk about whether it's policing or community centers or library hours all of that is dependent on the, the planning building and code enforcement department being able to operate in an optimal fashion just a quick follow and i'll put this to you councilmember mahan this idea of staffing up the planning department there is a lot of vacancies hiring is a problem there is it just paying more money what's your how are you going to actually change that? Yeah, I think it's... Have you ever talked to a chat bot? It's two things. I think it's the way it's structured. So what happens is it's a fee-for-service um, model in the city of San Jose for many parts of it, but for this department in particular. And so what happens is when the economy dips and there's not as much money, we start laying people off from that department. What would make more sense to me is to invest some general fund dollars so you keep that department steady the whole time. Because if you think about it as the economy dips... Then we're starting to hire people as the economy goes up, and we're behind every single time. So one thing is to make sure that it probably is paying people better, but it's also looking at career ladders so people will want to stay with the city of San Jose because we get these really talented, smart experts, and then we lose them to the private sector. Council Member, I'll give you a little more time for cracks at both of these questions. First, from the audience, specific regulations that you would cut, and then second, this question about the planning department. How do you solve these staffing issues? Sure. So on the regulatory question, one example I would give you is, is that we have a requirement around ground floor commercial building where if you're building a residential building, an apartment building, we have requirements around building out com ground floor commercial, even if vacancy rates in that part of town are incredibly high. And the developer just writes it off and says, there's no economic value to this. The city's just forcing me to do it. What's the effect of that? It makes every apartment above it that much more expensive because that we are mandating that they build something that from their view has no economic value and very well may sit vacant. So we should be smarter about that. In key commercial corridors, we should preserve that requirement. On secondary side streets that are not critical commercial corridors, we should relax it or remove it. We should be much more flexible in how we implement rules like that. A second example would be environmental review. 
in strategic places like downtown and around some of our higher frequency transit hubs where we want to encourage development, we should pre-authorize and programmatically conduct as much of the review process as we can so that it is as close to plug and play for the person bringing forward that project as possible. We still treat what? these applications as a one-off bespoke project when we're building most of the same things over and over again. And we should be absolutely pre-planning, programmatically clearing most of those hurdles so that it's not taking 18 months just to get through the, the sequel process. On the second question of the planning department, after public safety, turning around that department, closing that vacancy rate, investing in technology and streamlining these processes will be my top priority because every dollar of investment in our city and the housing we need and the jobs that we want, the improvements you make to the home, the tenant improvements for a small business, Every dollar of investment flows through that department. I just spoke to a restaurateur the other day who was on the fence about buying a pro or, sorry, leasing a property in downtown, but was so scared that the process through which we would review his plans for improving the space to be able to move in his restaurant, he was so worried about how long it would take that he couldn't take the risk of signing that lease. So we lost what could have been an investment in a great restaurant downtown, specifically because of his fear that he could... I hope it ended up in Campbell, whatever it is. Duck for... Because he'd be like, oh, everything's small town, everything went great here. The city would have just stepped on this dude, whoever it is. Say 10 months waiting to get clearance to actually open his restaurant. We, we miss out on those kinds of opportunities all the time. Thank you both. Maria? Yes, thank you so very much. Yeah, if there's um, too much commercial property, the rent should come down because of supply and demand, and then there should be like more kind of boutiques and shit, right? It would be more like more kind of niche stuff because people doing more niche kind of work and offering more niche kinds of products or services would be able to get those storefront. We will continue uh, to another subject, and uh, this why that fucking vacant property tax is such a good idea. First question is going to be uh, for both of you. Uh, I will ask uh, Mr. Mahan to start. Uh, but we're going to play a video. This is a pre-recorded question uh, from one of our uh, groups here locally in the Bay Area in San Jose. It's uh, the organization SIREN, and let's hear it. Good evening, San Jose mayoral candidates. My name is Maricela Gutierrez, and I'm the executive director of SIREN, a local immigrant and refugee rights organization based in San Jose. My question to you is, knowing there's an active campaign to allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. If elected mayor, how would you vote on the matter? And what are your thoughts on the matter? Thank you very much. So I uh, um, will ask this question to so you. So like in my system, anybody can, who can access the blockchain and if you have like one of those apes, you get to vote. This is from um, Maricela Gutierrez, Executive Director of SIREN, uh, as I was saying, a local immigrant and refugee rights organization based here in San Jose. And her question is, knowing there is an active campaign to allow non-citizens to vote in local elections, if elected mayor, how would you vote on the matter and what are your thoughts on the matter? And uh, I, will ask, uh, I will say this in Spanish. Um, esta pregunta es de la organización SIREN de San Jose que ayuda a los inmigrantes, a los refugiados aquí en esta ciudad. 
Y su pregunta es, eh, a sabiendas de que hay una campaña para permitir el voto de los no ciudadanos aquí en San José para que voten en elecciones locales, si ustedes fueran elegidos alcalde, ¿qué es lo que harían? ¿Cuáles son sus pensamientos y cómo votarían en este asunto? Now we'll go to Mr. Mahan. Thank you for the question. So I, I don't support expanding voting to non-citizens because I think there is a, a better approach that the community supports, which is focusing on expanding pathways to citizenship. People but, who are but here you don't have any control of That's a, a good job. He's like, actually, the federal government should just, well, I'm just going to shirk this off on the federal government. Raising their kids here, paying taxes here, who want to make that commitment to our country should absolutely have a pathway through which they can become full legal citizens and with it earn the right to vote. As I've gone around the city, including to many of our immigrant communities, I've heard over and over again that citizenship is an, it's an aspiration. Proud, one of the proudest days of their life was becoming a citizen. And I think that most of our community, myself included, views voting at this time, at this point in time in our country. More like the Andrew Yang candidate. Oh shit, right how the fuck is Forward not found and endorsed this guy yet? How the fuck is Andrew Yang's grift not all over this guy? Responsibility of citizenship once someone makes that commitment. And so I think, and in fact as mayor, I will be a vocal advocate for expanding pathways to becoming citizens and encouraging folks to take advantage of those pathways. Yeah, thank you for the question. For the last, I don't know, maybe 25 years, um, I have played a leadership role in continuing to fight for immigration reform. And I think that the desire for people to vote um, is because they're so tired of waiting for the change to happen that they've been working on, and, and including Maricela's <laughs> organization, for generations to fix the immigration system. I don't support um, non-citizen voting. I do, and partly because I believe that we have to continue to fight to change the immigration and, and make this sure is that we're not an immigration or. reform. And let me just make an observation about this. For many, many people in our community, depending that they don't even understand how broken the system is, that it depends on what country you're coming from, what reason you're coming, whether or not a law has been passed specifically for your country, we may have an opportunity for the first time in generations, depending on how this election goes in November, to actually change and address immigration reform. Congresswoman Lofgren has been leading the effort in the nation. We should support her efforts, and as a community, I would play a leadership role in we'll leadership role in fighting for immigration reform that creates pathways for citizenship that's fair and transparent. Um, so, I will do a follow-up on this uh, question, and I will go first in Spanish. Um, como no están de acuerdo en permitir el voto para los residentes que no son ciudadanos, entonces, ¿de qué manera incluirían sus voces y necesidades en las decisiones de la ciudad? Tomando en cuenta que los residentes y además contribuyen like, a la economía. Compel voting of everybody who's in prison. Is, oh no, voting in prison would be optional unless you're in there for life on like some kind of violent crime shit. And then like only non-citizens can vote. And that means anybody. Like if you just happen to be on vacation and it's voting day, you get to vote. Like, <laughs> I mean, could it, could it, could it be, could we do it worse? De la ciudad, fuertemente. So if you don't agree with allowing non-citizens to vote, how will you make sure they have a voice in the decision-making process of the city? 
taking into account that undocumented residents of San Jose pay taxes and contribute to the economy of the city. And um, I, I listen to what you're saying about fighting for uh, immigration reform, but that's kind of like in the higher level, in federal. Um, oh, shit. I like so her. Locally. She's like exactly like she's like me. She should have just been asking them questions. She should have debated both of them. Jose, but in other cities, Wait, she should run for, area, for mayor. The country are trying to just focus locally on this type of possibility for non-citizens. So what would you say about that? Grievance voting tourism. Wait, the fucking lady in the green should be running for mayor. I like her. So I, I understand that. And I think that um, I think it still doesn't take away from the necessity to do it for a bunch of different reasons. Let me just say one thing about this. We have so many people in our community that are living in fear because they can't, because the process is so broken. It doesn't really exist for them. That's why it's so important to prioritize that. I understand your point about it being kind of far away, but it I really have a bold isn't. proposal. What if there was a way in which even though you can't become a citizen of the United States, you could become a citizen of San Jose? And then with that, you would be able to vote. And there's just some process by which you go through. And make it much, obviously, much less odious and terrifying than the federal one. But you go through some. If you've been here for ten years, and you're whether or not you're working, even if you've been here for ten years, can show that you lived here for ten years. Um, we let felons vote in California, so fucking doesn't matter whether or not you're a felon, I suppose. And then you just fucking meet a meet a couple of fucking simple requirements, and you can vote in the city of San Jose. Because while we cannot grant you U.S. citizenship, we can certainly grant you citizenship in the city of San Jose. And boy, are we glad you're here. But nope, nobody wants to do that. Tucker Carlson would lose his fucking mind. Not here. The second thing I would say is that I think that I, I would love to see um, people in our community, irrespective of their status, involved in boards, commissions, neighborhood associations. When I served on the city council, we had this incredible program called the Strong Neighborhoods Initiative that I helped start that taught neighborhood leaders leadership skills, taught them how to get involved. I should just in go around and fucking, I should be Frankly, fucking taught the city decide who's a city citizen of San Jose. So I, think there I should are be able to excommunicate your citizenship from the city. And I don't want to stop that at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I think that a lot of our leaders and some of them that are in this room, um, they, you know, they're leaders in their community now and they're not documented. That doesn't stop them from making sure their voices are heard at city hall or at the county. Well, at the risk of being repetitive, I think that boards and commissions are a great starting place. I am a huge believer in the importance of neighborhood associations. You can't vote, but we'll let you be on a board. Yeah, we need some kind of citizenship for this city. Fuck it. I think that's going to be our mission on down ballot in the coming years is to like allow people to apply for citizenship as a San Josealian. And then they should be able to vote in local elections. In fact, my office in the District 10 office has actually helped five new neighborhood associations be created. We've gone out door to door. We do neighbor days where we bring neighbor day. It's like Labor Day, except I don't have to give you a paid day off. Our neighbors, we know that neighborhoods where people are connected and on a first name basis with one another are safer and healthier and happier places. And so I think starting at that really grassroots level with a uh, neighborhood association actually would tend to be at odds with the homeowners association. It, it, it there, there's some, there was some weird shit going on with the neighborhood association and the homeowners association when I lived in Berkeley, because we lived in a place where that was like mixed single family homes and apartments. 
and the neighborhood association and the homeowners association. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe eventually they formed like militias and went to war. It was the, the, the kind the, the things it was like playing out in the city council and stuff. It was amazing. In our neighborhood associations, our neighborhood watch groups, Berkeley's a weird and place making too. sure that city boards and commissions are proactively in language in culturally competent ways, reaching out to the, the, all of our residents so that, that those bodies at that most local We should level, not like, tell this guy about the idea of letting people become uh, citizens of the city of San Jose because he would t- like turn it into feudalism where he was like the Lord and they were his subjects. But if it was like, if like evil Beto O'Rourke wasn't going to probably be the governor, the, uh, the idea I have about citizenship with, within the city is probably a great one. This guy would just set up like feudalism though. Reflecting the true diversity of our city is, is where I'll be focused. Uh, all right, so we're going to move on to another question, and this is an individual question uh, for Ms. Chavez. Um, usted encabezó la campaña para prohibir la venta de combustible con plomo en el aeropuerto Reed Hill View de San José. Sin embargo, los aviones que despegan y aterrizan ahí pueden todavía cargar combustible. Oh, and for sure, disposable thumb. Like what I'm saying, the devil is in the details, and I don't even believe in the devil, right? There would have to be like a competent city government to administer this. And that shit would, this guy would be like, I'd actually hire this fucking mayor guy to put it on the blockchain and encrypt it and shit so that the fucking feds can't come after all of my citizens. But then <clears throat> as a citizen of San Jose, maybe the San Jose being a sanctuary city, the fucking, the fucking police might help you if the feds come. Like, I don't know. It's weird. It's interesting. What if states like California start offering state citizenship? Really fuck some shit up. Really piss some people off, wouldn't it? Hello, bro. We're watching the uh, candidates form for the San Jose mayor. Um, We've got Cindy Chavez, who seems not so great. Uh, And then we've got um, Matt Mahan, who is like, the mayor from RoboCop meets Beto O'Rourke. ...de que los 52,000 residentes que viven cerca estén a salvo de los efectos nocivos de este combustible. So now in English. You led a campaign uh, to prohibit the sale of fuel that, uh, with lead in the Reed Hill View Airport. However, planes that take off and land there can get this type of fuel anywhere else. In case you are elected, how will you protect the 52,000 residents who live around that area and can be affected negatively? You can't. The FAA regulates the fucking airport. Thank you for the question. Um, you know, this is one of those um, instances. Oh, we have where to pick between these two, irate law. But you, you, you already, she's not terrifying we're pushing as hard as we can and we really need the public's help and so let me just explain what i mean by that reed hill view airport has had 52,000 people living right on its uh, right around it for so long and it's really a mismatch of of land uses so that i bet for a while i bet they built around it because it was fucking cool to live next to the airport right i'm not kidding i bet that's why there's like a bunch of housing around it I bet people thought it was fucking rad to live next to the airport because it was like, and the plane was flying overhead. I'm not even kidding. I People are so stupid. I don't even know if it's stupidity. It was like, we didn't know. We didn't know that these airports were going to pollute the ground 
like the air, of course, you could see the smoke out of the back of the plane, but like, I don't think people knew the extent to which airports like pollute the land beneath them. And then that sort of spreads out around the airport. The second issue that you're raising is um, a really important one, which is piston engine aircraft is still the, it's the single largest lead emission in, in the air in our country in terms of if you're going to get, you know, get um, poisoning from it. What we did is we, in January, said we're not selling any more leaded fuel. The FAA, in February, sent us a letter telling us that we had to start selling leaded fuel again. So That's what I just said a minute ago, that they don't, it, it's not your fucking decision. It's a goddamn airport. The FAA makes the decisions for the fucking airport. We are in a process right now with the FAA trying to make sure that we can con continue to primarily sell unleaded fuel at that airport. In addition to that... We're looking to the EPA to have them find endangerment findings so that really it's saying you can't sell this fuel anymore, which is what we're trying to get a national movement around. Because in addition to the 52,000 people who live around... Porta potty prepper jet fuel is very much different than the, uh, the fuel that goes in like, uh, like propeller powered and some propeller powered airplanes, even like the more modern ones aren't built the same way. But like airplanes with like basically an internal combustion engine like you would have in your car would be the ones with leaded fuel. Jet aircraft use a completely different kind of fuel. Around Reed Hillview, we think there are thousands and thousands of families living around the 20,000 airports in the country. And just a little bit of lead per causes permanent brain damage for children. Permanent. Um, so There are people who believe actually that taking the lead out of gasoline caused the precipitous drop in violent crime in the united states i don't think the evidence is there but there are people who are um have uh, like highfalutin jobs in academia and research that don't that do think the evidence is there so getting the lead out of everything it's not just a it's not just a saying about being lazy like oh get the lead out no you should we should probably have less of that in the environment what we would have to do is we have to keep on the faa we have to keep pushing the epa and we have get to get Madison star moon to call the FAA and the EPA for you. I think that would fix it all. So yell at them and call them a shill with the, with the, between the city and the County to make sure that Reed Hillview airport doesn't take any more airport improvement grants. So by 2031, we can in fact close that airport. Thank you so much. And now we're going to go to an individual question uh, for you, Mr. Mahan. And I go, uh, do you know, Peter Thiel first in Spanish? Su campaña confirmó eh, con la publicación digital San José Spotlights a fines de septiembre que varios trabajadores de la campaña, de su campaña, fueron contratados de manera incorrecta como consultores y no como empleados. El error implicaba que estos trabajadores no recibieron todos los beneficios requeridos. ¿Qué más nos podría decir sobre este error y cómo es posible que se haya cometido Spanish is so rusty. It's almost be fluent. So your campaign confirmed uh, with the San Jose Spotlight publication at the end of last month that several campaign workers of your campaign were not classified correctly and were hired as consultants instead of employees, which means they were well, not. That's because he's fucking. He's a Silicon Valley tech bro. Of course, that's what he does. Receiving the correct benefits. Can you explain to us how that happened and walk us through the process? And did you personally hire those employees? 
Thank you for the question. So we are we are running an incredibly grassroots campaign. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. You're running a grassroots campaign. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, come on. You know, on the political establishment, our campaign You're is full. taking on the political establishment. Dude, look in the mirror. I don't even have to hear you talk. You are the political establishment of San Jose of high school and college students and volunteers and i'm incredibly proud of the campaign that we have run our campaign manager was on a gap year from college most of our campaign well, you should have hired that that should well, wait was that part of the scandal maybe you should have hired someone like i don't know the councilman no i would be very angry at the councilman if he worked for evil beto o'rourke very angry unless it was like you know and you, you know, you do what you got to do. Politics is politics. Dirty. Pain staff, many of whom are here in this room, are, are, were, were in and out of the campaign. Right, but nobody's talking about the people who you didn't pay who were volunteering for your campaign for city council, dude. On, on short-term stints. We treated them as such. We then, of our own accord, contracted a labor expert to review our practices and decided to re in an abundance of caution to reclassify a couple of our campaign staff as full-time employees there's a new state law ab5 that makes it much harder now to be as flexible in how we hire people in fact sadly we have some young people who we can't pay a stipend to because it's 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 too risky according to the new law and so we have people that we've had to say i'm sorry you can only participate as a volunteer we can't even give you you have stipend. to tell people so, that as a political other political campaigns have to tell people that because they don't have any money i guess you don't have that problem with your campaign for you know whatever reason it's unfortunate but state law labor laws are, are changing and tightening we're responding. These are new laws. We made the change immediately. But the bottom line is, I'm incredibly proud. Tico just showed up here and you spotted this guy from a mile away. This guy's trying to make the world a better place through fucking city-funded government NFT board ape algorithms. Grassroots this campaign is that we have dozens and dozens of high school and college students running the campaign. We have not had one complaint from anyone working on the campaign. He's like, listen, at least I don't sexually abuse my staff, all right? And like I said, I've never hit anyone that was brought to my attention. We addressed it with the input of experts. If I just want to add, uh, were you involved in any of the first hiring of these employees? Uh, and once you found out about it, uh, so this action was taken like immediately? Yes, after consulting with a with a labor expert. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Who, who by the way, noted that most other camp this is actually how most campaigns operate i think we're all catching up with these new labor laws that make it much harder to flexibly employ other campaigns don't have money a lot of times and they have a lot of volunteers holy shit man clearly young people who may not be a joke about it. the councilman ran for office he ran for city council he didn't have no fucking money his friends were helping him and shit and everybody was volunteering he didn't have a fucking he didn't have fucking staff working full-time maybe students maybe on a gap year so yeah we uh we moved immediately once getting the information all right thank you so much um we have some general questions uh oh i wish that i wish the lady in the black dress could just respond and be like i have uh, three people that i pay that work for me and i 
I pay them a market rate and the rest of my uh, staff is volunteers and I'm very grateful for them. But nope, uh, she couldn't I'm do that. And also some questions from our audience. I'm going to go uh, with some of our audience right now. So we got Sam nine Hussain minutes left the largest this. Vietnamese population outside of Vietnam. Yet we do not have any council member on the board. How do we ensure they have a voice in our city? And this will go to both of you. And, uh, He's like the Vietnamese should try being venture capitalists. Uh, Mr. Chavez, uh, let's go with you first. Thank you. So um, I think that's a really important uh, question. And I know that, um, that, you know, at least in my work on the Board of Supervisors, I've really prioritized my partnership and my friendship with the Vietnamese American community. And as a matter of fact, we built the Vietnamese American Service Center, the first of its kind in the country, and it's focused on providing services of all kinds um, that are culturally appropriate. Like she how a fake and her potato salad might have raisins in it, right? But she's not terrifying like the other appropriate From pharmacy to after-school programming to, to ballroom dancing and senior nutrition. It's really an amazing program. We did a program to um, ensure that nail salons were had the opportunity to be healthy nail salons. All right, this is a little bit racist. <laughs> like bring up the Vietnamese community. She's like, I help nail salons. Because we oh, have so just, many no, no, not this. Working in them Cindy, stop, no. We're having um, challenges with their health because of the chemicals that were used and not having good filtration in them. And so I've, I, I could go on, but the, those are some of the priorities for me. As it relates to, to getting people involved, I think we have to make sure that we have, um, you know, that we're developing leadership. I have a chief of staff, the first Vietnamese American chief of staff um, in the county of Santa Clara, Betty Young, who is on my staff now. And I think we I have to that find is. these young people, continue to encourage them and encourage them to run for office. We have quite a lot of people running for office right now from the Vietnamese American community. Thank you so much. And Mr. Mayor. Well, I'm the only candidate for mayor who's supported all of the Vietnamese candidates running for city council because I think representation is critically important. I think it's wrong that our city is nearly 40% Asian American and does not have one Asian American representative. I think actions speak louder than words. I'm supporting the only Vietnamese candidate running for city council in this phase of the election, in the runoff. Oh, who, who is it? Uh-oh. As mayor... I will actively reach out. Yeah, no, there's a lot. He's not wrong. Like, it's fucked up, actually. It's super fucked up. But I think I know who he's supporting, and I think that person is a monster. I'm not sure. And all other communities that are not represented on the council. But also, to be fair, the cities surrounding San Jose, like Campbell, Santa Clara, Sunnyvale, Mountain View, uh, Milpitas, they do have like very strong representation from the Asian American community on their city councils. Oh, I don't want to say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know for sure. All right. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure if the person is in fact, uh, Asian American. I think it might be Johnny Camus though. Not just to invite them to apply for jobs in my office, but to encourage them to run for office so that they... The councilman would know, but he had to leave because he's got like a wife a and a baby. And I, I want to work with a council <laughs> that reflects the true diversity of our city. Thank you so much. Um, we have some more general questions, but I think we're going to go with Guy now. Fantastic. So we have uh, one more question to wrap up the night, and it's about civic engagement. We're going to ask both of you about this. Just over a half century ago, in his very first State of the City address, the late Norman... So I have a question. This guy's... Uh, the, 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 
Apple AirPod in his ear. Is it hooked up to anything or does he just have it there because he thinks you're supposed to? Said, quote, our city will not move unless it's given a solid push. That solid push on the part of you, the residents, is your involvement. So my question to both of you is, how will you involve? How will you engage? How will you mobilize San Jose residents to give the city that solid push? And I'll start with you, Supervisor Chavez. Thank you. And first of all, I, it's lovely um, that you chose Norman Y. Manetta and his example. You know, many of you may not know this, but I think he was the first um, Asian American mayor of a major city in the country's history. And I have uh, great fondness for him. He, he, he may have been, yeah. Norm Mineta was a good mayor of San Jose, too. Quite a lot. And you know what he told me? His favorite job ever? He was Secretary of Transportation, Member of Congress, Secretary of Commerce, being mayor of San Jose. Um, but I think that one of the best opportunities... Being mayor of San Jose was easy back then. Great tech grassroots campaigns and engaging people. What is that? Um, but I want to just emphasize the Strong Neighborhoods Initiative. I, I would like to establish, reestablish that in every single um, city council district. I my want voice comes back. every council district a to bit. have a... A, a month or a you know a time where they're the primary focus of the of the mayor to go out to that council district and make your mayor day that in every single one. Um, I think it's really critical that we engage neighborhood leaders in decision making, including you know we had a sunshine ordinance that when I was there that hasn't been used in a long time that alerted people to really interesting and important things. Oh my God, like Cindy Chavez, I'm already going to vote for you. The, the other guy is terrifying. The city to get out there and He's like evil Beto O'Rourke. Like I hate the other guy. Developments and that we really, we're really engaging people. So strong oh, that, that's pretty good. Um, citywide, making sure that everybody had evil, an evil opportunity that mic real quick. to tell their city what they thought and be involved in making it healthy, clean and safe. Thank you. Evil, evil Beto. Had to cut that somewhere, and I guess that's as good a place as any. If you want the rest, just head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash echoplex. Down ballot will be a freebie this week. You can also grab the video of this on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search for Echoplex Media, and you'll be able to find the video of the entire thing.